Hey, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to you, depending on when you're watching or listening to this edition, which incidentally is edition 106, or episode two of series three of Hypnosis Week. And boy, have I got an amazing guest for you today. Now, if you're on the audio podcast, you can't yet, uh, you don't know who it is necessarily. If you're on the video, you'll already see at the side of me, depending on which way he chooses to record, the gentleman himself who you may recognise. Um, some of you may have seen him between the sort of period of 2003 to 2005 on the Discovery Health Channel UK's uh, television show, The Life Guru, and then from 2005 onwards, was shown at numerous uh, different channels all around the world. Is the author of the 2000 2013 book Beat Anxiety Now and the 2014 book The Science of Thin. Uh, you also, if you're in England or watched on the, the internet as it were, as things get shared there, he appeared on British TV shows such as Pop Stars The Rivals, which was the forerunner to The X Factor, um, GMTV, The Right Stuff, and a whole bunch of other shows which we'll talk about, I'm sure, over the next 60 minutes. And his TEDx uh, talk has had over one and a half million views. Seven must get a new set of teeth. Seven seconds to change your life. So please welcome to the show, or joining us all the way from Australia, although he's originally from Scotland, the man himself, Alistair, I hope I pronounced this right, Horsecroft. Oh, well, that's the intro. You were age regressing me there, mate, straight off the bat, taking <laughs> me back in time. Well done. Look, I want to take you even further back because there was a time when you were the life guru. There was a time when you didn't do hypnosis, NLP and all that kind of stuff. Um, what was your journey? How, how did you get into this crazy world? Hang on, hang on. Now that you've introduced me so beautifully, mate, I appreciate it. Jonathan or Alex, which one do you prefer? Uh, whatever you feel best with. I'm Alex by birth, but obviously media-wise, it was Jonathan... Uh, that um, Alex, because that is actually who I am. That's who you're talking to. Yeah. So I should, I should interview you as well. You've been interviewed on why you made the name change. Yeah, I mean, it, it, briefly, it's because in the early 90s, um, I used to go out as Alex Leroy. Because Alex Smith, which is my birth name, doesn't sound wonderful when you introduce a legend. Please welcome on stage Alex Smith. Bit flat. Whereas Leroy, <laughs> Alex Leroy, you get that. Yeah. Up it gets more applause, which was all well and good until the Sun newspaper and stuff did um, controversial stories alleging I hypnotized women for sex, which was nonsense. Um, I did cash in on that for a few years, but then I got to the point where <laughs> I, I'd, I'd, I'd had enough of it all. So I wanted to distance myself from that stuff. So I needed to change my name. And I thought I'll, I'll kind of take the piss a bit as well. So Leroy... Ali R-O-Y became Royal, R-O-Y Ali. And then I thought, Alex Royal, it falls flat. And it was literally just a case of that Jonathan, Jonathan Royal, right. had the phonetics for more applause. That was literally yeah. the only reason. Oh, good. Well, we can have a good chat later about our mutual likely dislike of the journalistic uh, world. Okay, yeah, well, that is something I will that, ask you that'll about. Be a, well, that'll, look, be a, that'll be a fun rant. Yeah, look, but... What got you into this? Because it's not the sort of thing that most people, when they're a child, go, oh, I want to be a hypnotist or a life coach or a therapist. I think that's pretty rare that someone, when they're, you know, four, five, six, is, is thinking yeah. that. Well, 
Look, I think like most of us, or at least most of us have been around for a while, you know, we get so sick to death of telling people our stories that, you know, I just kind of just don't do it anymore. You know, when I go and train, I just go, hi, I'm Alistair, let's get into it. You know, if you want to know more about me, there's a Wikipedia page. <laughs> That's kind of as far as I go, really. You know what I mean? But I'll, um, I'll, I'll honour the question and try and Please, do it. Please, because otherwise, my bullet points, it'll be me sat here reading out your, your, your resume, which is kind of... Not as interactive as I would have liked it right, to be. Right. I'll, I'll give it a go. I'll give it All a right. go. Look, I suppose in short, you know, my parents were, well, they had a phase in their 30s of being relatively progressive. They were ahead of the curveball, you know. So my old man actually was a military pilot. He was uh, from a council estate in Bristol, and he was one of the youngest guys ever to get his wings. So he was yeah, a bit of a legend, really, my old man. You know what I mean? Um, you know, came from nothing and, you know, did, did, did good. My mum, same thing, you know, she was a uh, daughter of a miners, uh, a miner, uh, not a miner, as in a miner, a miner as in digging coal, in, um, in, uh, in Wales. And um, yeah, she did great as well. And she became a nurse, you know, and they both kind of did their thing for a little while. Um, and then I think probably like, you know, mate, you know, I mean, a lot of people who have come from, you know, kind of like those kind of upbringings and then they try and level up into a different kind of sphere of, you know, I suppose social class for one of way of saying things. I think that took its toll on my old man. You know what I mean? And by the time he was 30, he kind of left, you know, the, uh, the air force and was you know, trying to find his own way. Very, uh, very, very uh, skilled uh, craftsman as well. Uh, um, but unfortunately or fortunately, depending on which way you want to look at it, they got, stuck right into the Indian gurus, like hardcore. You know, like my my dad was kind of the intellectual gurus like Krishnamurti and that bunch, and my mum went full kind of like Sai Baba guru. Do you know what I mean? And so I was sent to a basically a cult from age nine. I was having this like relatively normal existence. I mean, kind of normal, you know, know, family life was insane, Um, but you know, relatively normal, um, up until I was about like seven, eight, nine, and then they joined this weird fucking cult. And the next thing I know, I'm kind of basically fostered out to crazy families in London to become a part of this cult. And there's books written about it, you know, a famous book called The Secret Cult. Hang on, can we just go back? You were fostered out to be part of the cult. What, how's that work? So you didn't oh. remain with your parents, but yeah, your no. mom was in the cult. On and off, they, 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 they kind of like wanted me so badly to be a part of this cult, but they were living in another part of England. So I had to go and stay with families and they would kind of fuck off to India and I'd just be left with kind of like family. Oh, and, right. Okay. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, some of the families are pretty cool, some not so cool. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I mean, I was young and, you know, I was like, all I really wanted to do was kind of BMX and, you know, watch the full guy and, you know, all the. I you know, love that what, show. I'll leave ages. Yeah. Yeah, and the next thing I know, I'm flung head first into a fucking cult. Um, so it's a bit strange, really. Um, and I've got a little bit of a, I wouldn't say oppositional, but I'm, I've, I've always had a very significant disdain for unearned authority, should we say, you know? So me and the school were like oil and water, really. You know, I mean, I was always naturally a good sportsman. So I kind of, you know, they were kind of a bit fucked with me because I captained every sport, but I was sent out of every lesson. You know what I mean? I was that lad. You know what I mean? So I, I, I literally didn't get schooled. I mean, I would work most days in the kitchens, just peeling potatoes. I, I, I literally just didn't get a schooling. It was is it, insane. Um, but the school, you know, you meditated in the mornings, meditated in the evenings. You kind of learn, I suppose, what they call now the non-duality way of 
you know, uh, of, of, of Indian philosophy, the kind of Advaita Vedanta philosophy, you know, um, that a lot of people like, I suppose, Eckhart Tolle and that lot kind of do a version of these days, you know. And yeah, and even back then, I... Well, the whole thought, living in the moment, the living in the now. Yeah, becoming enlightened, living in the moment, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, even when I was young, I was like, yeah, man, there's holes in this thing because all the teachers were madly into it, yeah, but they were kind of violent idiots you know even as even age 10 i could see this you know i could fucking see the the disconnect do you know what i mean so they're trying to get you to meditate and i'll be like well if i meditate i'm going to become like those assholes and i want to become like those assholes so i'm not going to meditate Excellent. <laughs> um so your school was a weird thing so i had legendary mates i loved sport i just didn't get educated at all so i left school at like 16 i'm gonna have enough i'm out you know what i mean at the same time, and I don't want to talk too much about this because my parents, I love them to death and they're still alive. I mean, they don't really, you know, but they were both very, my mother, unfortunately, was very mentally ill and my father was very mentally ill. So, I mean, we're talking mental institution, mentally ill. Do you know what I mean? So that was... Well, as a result of being involved with the cult? No, I think my mum, I mean, I don't like to say genetically because, you know, obviously we've got genetics and epigenetics, but certainly a family history of it. Um... And there was you know, schizophrenia there and bipolar on the dad's side. So, I mean, family life was, look again, I'm not going to moan about it because I had a great time, but it was mental. You know what I mean? It was, you, 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 let's put it this way. You didn't know what you're coming home to, you know, and you know what it's like. I mean, I don't, you're probably about a similar age to me. So, you know, we're the latchkey generation, as we're called. Do you know what I mean? I guess so, I'm, 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 well, I'm 47 in two weeks time. Yeah, right. So I'm a couple of years older than you. I'm not yet 50, but I'm, I'm heading that way. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, so you were part of your Gen X for the latchkey generation, yeah? And so as such, you know, we, as you know, we were brought up mainly on a diet of American movies, you know, that kind of, you know, sensibility a lot, you know what I mean? That we, mm -hmm. you know, and we came home and parents weren't there. You made yourself a cup of tea, had your biscuits, didn't you? Sat down and watched Grange Hill, you know? Yeah. And, you know, that was your kind of, that was your, so there was this kind of strange normal existence, you know what I mean? And then that kind of batshit, world of mental illness and cults and then all I wanted to do was join the military and play rugby and box that's all I was interested in do you know what I mean so uh -huh. a, a quite a strange mix you know quite a strange mix but at the end of the day you know to keep that all you know kind of I suppose uh, that's part of the story over I I left school at 16 and yeah man I mean I I had severe anxiety disorders. I had OCD, trichotillomania. You know, there was a lot of obviously consequences of that kind of, you know, an upbringing. You know what I mean? Um, you know, uh, but I was a strong, you know, minded little fucker. So again, it was this strange kind of world where I was still trying to keep myself healthy. I still had this brutal will on me. You know, it's the hardcore will. But at the same time, I had anxiety, OCD. I'd pick my skin till I bled. You know, I was just trying to get by. I was, you know, you know, and I ended up working in um, nightclubs, bars, restaurants. I did every job you could imagine. I was a psycho courier, a cleaner. You know what I mean? I, I, I did them all. Yeah, everyone, I'm quite well spoken. So I went, the school I went to was private. So I've got a relatively posh voice, but people think, you know, I'm from money and posh is not at all true. You know, I've done, I've done all the jobs, all the things, you know, um, and uh, I, the only good thing about the school was it did teach us not just some Indian philosophy, but taught some Western philosophy as well. And I, I enjoyed the Western philosophy a lot, you know, 
um, which we'll talk about a little bit later, are kind of interesting and a lost art in society, I believe. You know, Western, everyone, everyone's become so new age and Eastern mysticism that mm -hmm. I think that they've forgotten the incredibly rich intellectual, useful heritage, you know what I mean, of our Western philosophers. And I think that's a big uh, hole in society right now. You know what I mean? And I'm certainly in my own little way trying to bring that back, you know, but anyway, let's talk about that a bit later. Um, so yeah, 16, drugs, alcohol, did every drug known to man, you know what I mean? Lived in squats, uh, crazy bastard, did, you know, bad things, crime, all, all of it, as you did as a London boy, just to try and handle life really, just to get by. But again, still had a great time. Um, like I said, uh, this weird existence, having a great time on the one side and then it was hell on the other side, you know what I mean? So it was kind of like this bizarre, this kind of split experience. And then when I hit 20, I was like, fuck it, I'm out. And I managed to save up enough money to get to Thailand, lived in Thailand for about four months. And I managed to get a ticket over to Australia and uh, landed in Australia with 40 bucks in my pocket. And that's another long story, which I won't bother going into, but I, you know, managed to kind of, yeah, get by in Australia. Um, had an amazing time, um, took far too much LSD. Um, and so by the, by the time I got back to um, England, when I was about 22, my brain had finally blown, you know what I mean? The anxiety, the OCD, the tryptomania, the LSD. <laughs> yeah, the combination was like, wow. all right. Yeah, all the drugs, the alcohol, the dope, you know, other stronger drugs, you know. And so, yeah, I got back to England and I was probably about 22. And I was like, fuck, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm fucked. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is bad. Um, and then as life, has it I, I i went mountain biking with a friend of mine and i didn't have a helmet on for the last section and i got had a head trauma and got swelling on the left lobe of my brain oh. and it didn't leave my house for like about four months three four months and unfortunately not because well, i wanted to but kind of suicidal ideation started kicking in because i didn't realize how traumatic my brain was you know i had ptsd from it and also ptsd from childhood I didn't know any of this. I'm just trying to get by, you know what I mean? And uh, I think that's the problem with the spiritual upbringing is you try and reframe everything as uh, this kind of like spiritual, you know, path when actually a lot of it's, it's functional. A learning experience. Yeah, a learning experience. And so you kind of, I certainly had a very hard time distinguishing between what was physical trauma, what was the learning spiritual experience, you know what I mean? What was this? It was quite a, a muddy time, should we say. And you know, I think like a lot of people, you think about taking your life, not because you want to end your life, you want to live, but you want to end the suffering that's in your head. You know, that's kind of like the frame that I had. I certainly want to live. The trauma the that was in, like, because trauma often manifests, manifests itself in many ways. And mine was quite physical. It was like people scratching nails down the inside of your head, like your brain, do you know what I mean? So it's quite a physical experience that was kind of tormenting to me. And so I've needed to end that. But I'm an empathic, compassionate dude. And I remember when I thought about it and I saw the train driver, I was like, well, I don't want to fuck his life up. You know what I mean? Like, it's all well and good taking yourself out. You don't want to fucking ruin someone else's life. So I kind of came to my senses and said, right, mate, if you keep on going this way, you're fucked. So you've got to go 180. You've got to go the whole, turn it, turn this round, you know? And so I did. I didn't drink for 14 years, didn't have coffee, didn't smoke. I just went clean. Did all the usual new age nonsense, some useful, some not so, non not so useful. You know, did the 
um, you know, all the cleanses, all the detoxes, all the fucking juice fasts, all the, you know, crazy shit down in Glastonbury, you know, most of it did fuck all. And then I, I, because of my childhood, I managed to get a degree, go to a degree. I went and met the philosopher professor in the University of North London. I said, look, I left school at 16. I've got fuck all qualifications, but I bet I'm as good as anyone on the course in philosophy. And he goes, well, how's that? And I said, well, I told him my upbringing. And then he gave me a call two days later and he goes, yeah, you're in. So I managed to get onto a degree without any GCSEs or A-levels or anything. You know what I mean? Nice. Uh, later when I was about 24, 25, you know what I mean? And then from there, I just started, you know, kind of getting my critical brain back together. You know what I mean? Started developing my brain again. And then I worked restaurants at the same time. So at the time in London, when you went and got a degree, they just threw money at you, mate. You know what I mean? They gave, gave you credit cards, money, loans, everything. I was like, this is fucking great. So a tiny little bed sit worked. And at the same time as doing my degree, I became a personal trainer. I did kinesiology. I did exercise physiology. I did anatomy and physiology. I did, uh, started beginning my hypnosis training. I did uh, a bit of NLP, a bit of coaching. I just started kind of going, educating myself on everything I had missed. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I kind of like, you know, I had this a bit of a chip on my shoulder, you know what I mean? Because I didn't think I was that smart because of obviously what happened in my childhood. So I started realizing, actually, hang on, I've got a brain on me. I just haven't used it. I haven't been taught how to use it. And so I'll always be thankful for that degree because it kind of like re, I suppose, reassociated me to my, my intelligence. You know what I mean? Um, and then through that, I had the confidence to go and do all these other courses. And then by the time I was about 27, 28, I had a huge body of knowledge. You know what I mean? I just kind of accelerated learning. I'd gone off. You know, I was nuts. I went celibate for three years. No women, no girlfriends, no nothing. Yeah, I know. Wild. I'm just... <laughs> went all in, uh, studied Egyptology, studied, you know, shamanism. I just, I just did the whole fucking, you know, book, the whole encyclopedia, mate, you know, really. And then shamanism, that's something I don't, you know, I, I think you're one of the few people who's brought that up on uh, any of these interviews about, about particularly interest me. Well, I'll just make a note here. Come back to that later. Cause it's something I studied and there's a hell of a lot. I believe, um, Useful stuff that therapists can learn from studying that. Yeah, yeah, for sure, dude, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely bring it up anytime you want. Anyway, that's a bit of a big rant, dude. I kind of feel like I've talked for quite a while. So, you know, what, 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 what do you want to know? No, well, it's cool. No, that's good because viewers and listeners who perhaps not encountered you before, the next thing is, is obviously, so you, you've learned it. We've got to the point you've learned it. You've got this body of knowledge. Um, you've got conventional qualification as well because of getting into the uh degree yeah you then how long was it because uh, on your time so we're going let me, let me think about this 2003 so things have to be filmed so we're going to at least 2002 which is like 20 years it's got to be a little bit in the 20 years or a little bit over that ago from where we are now that you it's a very quick window then, because from 29 years to 22, what's the difference? Seven years. So within seven years, yeah. you got yourself in a position where you'd filmed a television series. So tw I think I was 29 when I filmed the TV show. I mean, that, yeah, that, so right. that's, that's quick going from like kind of doing the study and then going out there and starting to actually landing a, a, a TV series. Can you tell us a bit about how that came about? Because I mean, that 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 is seriously impressive going. Well, 
You know, so my first ever training after I, you know, uh, was um, I trained with John Overdurf and Julie Silverthorne. Um, oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, my, I've got my NLP trainer trainers with them. Yeah. Oh yeah, nice. And I did I did their Ericksonian course. Yeah. And I'll always, I've always made a shout out to John, you know, because look, I wouldn't say he saved my life, but he definitely, I would say, accelerated my um, my ability to get back on track and make something of myself. You know what I mean? And I'll and I'll always be thankful for that because as a result of the head injury and all the weed and drugs that I took, you know, when I accessing cues and NLP, you know, when you look down, you know, left and right, you're basically banging around between auditory, digital, and kinesthetic. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So anytime I was asked a question, like, what do you want? I couldn't go visual constructed. I just couldn't fucking do it. So I literally just couldn't access the part of my brain that would allow me to begin to conceive of a future. Yeah. So after the first kind of two days of this training, every poor bugger student who was working with me and would ask me, what do you want? My brain would fall out. I'd have an anxiety attack, look down, you know, a and just swim around down there. You know what I mean? And so I remember John picking me up about this after class and every time I, he goes, what do you want? And I started trying to go down, he would just kind of click up, look up right, look up right, look up right and force my brain, you know what I mean? To go up and access, you know, VC, you know, visual construct. And I remember after that experience, I used to drive a motorbike and I kind of got out of the classroom and the whole world had changed me. You know what I mean? Like this, that I could see the colors and I could feel the breeze on my body, you know, massively. I was alive again because Obviously, as you know, you know, from all the work that you've done, it's all well and good meditating and drugs and all that kind of stuff. But the problem is, if you've already got a predisposition to anxiety disorders, they can internalize you so much. You don't even pay attention to things like the breeze or the wind on your skin or the sun or the colors. I mean, you're so internalized. You're so, you know, kind of doing fucking, you know, internal dialogue. You know what I mean? That you just don't, you know, an, an internal perception. You don't even really connect with the outside world at all. You know, so it was the first time that I really kind of felt the world again and a future opening up. So John, if you ever listen to this, mate, I'm always uh, you know, very grateful for what you did to me that day. Um, and he also reconnected me and he also reconnected me to my humor as well. I was always a funny fucker. And I thought, you know, and life had just beaten it out of me. Do you know what I mean? I just, it just beaten it out of me. I was just, I'd become, I was always gregarious, funny, you know, a crazy motherfucker. And I, I was just so serious, do you know what I mean? And, you know, just it's so serious. And, uh, he reconnected with my humor and that really helped me kind of find my way again so yeah, big out big shout out to to john you know john over yeah. you know what i mean big shout out here as well i just want to clarify law i studied the videos and stuff of john's it was actually one of john's licensed trainers who certified me so a shout out to richard haggerty um but yeah john's book um training trances yeah, is, uh, i'd recommend that as well to all viewers and listeners so, yeah, sorry, I interrupted. Continue, because you're partway on this journey to, to explaining how you ended up landing the TV shows quick. Yeah, well, <clears throat> and then what I did at the beginning is I used to combine personal training, because I was one of the first to really understand, obviously, in personal training that you know, I used to personal train in some of the biggest gyms in, in, in London. And obviously I understood that the mind was the barrier to most people's success. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you know, losing weight and getting into shape is just a mathematical equation, really. Do you know what I mean? I mean, everyone in this day and age always bangs on about hormones and this and that. Yeah, sure. There's always an exception to the rule, 
But you know, the eighty twenty rule is is it's just you're eating fucking too much. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, you know, and and and, uh, and you probably don't have enough muscle mass. You know, that's probably the the the, the, the two dominant you know factors. You know. Um, not enough protein, not enough muscle mass, and you're eating too much excess, you know, energy, whether it be fat and carbs, that's, that's the equation. So of course, um, I started bringing in the NLP and hypno, you know, into the personal training and having these private clients. And I started getting quite well known around the fancy parts of London, you know, Hampstead and this kind of area, you know, because working with, you know, kind of wealthy people doing that, you know, everyone thought it was amazing. I'd personally train them. And then We'd have a kind of sit down and NLP kind of session and hypno session afterwards. And everyone thought this was the best thing ever. You know what I mean? And it was, it was fucking great, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, a girlfriend of mine got a job at Henlow Grange Health Farm and uh, just outside London, the famous kind of Henlow Grange Health Farm where all the celebs and rich and famous go there to wear, you know, white towels and, uh, you know, and uh, not do any health thing at all. Not, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and um, I said, well, can you get me a job? Me? So I went and they said, yeah, okay. And so it was pretty amazing. We were the first people, like, I'm, you know, without sounding too egotistical, but I'll, I will wave my flag now and again. You know, I was the first person in England to start up this kind of alternative approach in health farms. You know what I mean? So I started up um, a, a mind clinic in uh, a mind and uh, body clinic in uh, or kind of, well, uh, in, in, in Henlo Grange and it was amazingly successful. I've got so many funny stories from there, but you know, I was um, about two or three times a week, I would go and give talks to the, uh, all, the all the residents, you know what I mean? The people who would go and stay. And sometimes there would be only be 10 or 12 people. Sometimes there'd be 50 to hundred people. And then at the end I'd say, you know, uh, if anyone wants to come and see me tomorrow, my books are open. And I was always like, wow, I'd wake up in the morning and go into work and not have a full book a client so I was very very lucky mate you know unlike a lot of people these days and I know that you're great you always walk your talk as well but you know I was seeing a lot of clients do you know what I mean like you know from a very from very early on in my career you know what I mean mm-hmm. I was seeing 30 new clients a week which is a lot of new clients yeah you know um you know even people who say they see 30 sessions a week they're not new clients do you know what I mean but mine were like 30 new clients a week and um, I was very successful, you know, just really just using very basic tools that I'd learned, you know, some of the really basic kind of, you know, uh, stuff from John and uh, Julie and some basic NLP stuff. Um, and there, obviously, a lot of TV producers and media bunch were there. And so one evening I was giving a talk and the next day someone gave me a call, said, hey, someone from whatever agency is on the phone. And hey, can you resolve phobias? I went, yeah, of course. Is it can you do it live on TV in front of a few million people? And I went, yeah, sure. <laughs> and um, so I went and did that. And then they were like, okay, this is interesting. And they said, oh, we've got a meeting for you. And I was like, okay, what's the meeting? And they said, well, we've got Endemol and Discovery. And they're both interested in working with you. Endemol was doing Big Brother at the time. So the biggest production company in the mm-hmm. fucking world. You know, Discovery is obviously huge. And so I walked in and it was interesting. And this is maybe interesting for the listeners, mate, because, because and, I th- and I know that you are, again, one of the, one of the ones who gets this. Um, but I went in and they said, tell us about NLP. And I said, how many people have tried to talk to you about NLP? And they went, literally, you're the 13th or 14th person we've had in, in the last couple of weeks too, because we know we've heard about this NLP. And I went, I'm not going to tell you anything about NLP. And they went, what do you mean? I said, go and get five people who are fucked up got problems, bring them in and I'll sort them out. And they went, are you serious? I went, yeah, sure, no worries, bring it on. 
And so they bought me a smoker. They had someone who had a phobia of clouds. <laughs> um, they had, uh, you know, a couple of other people. And then I just did some basically kind of stagey type stuff with one of the producers and their brains were just blown. They were like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, well, I've just shown you it. Mm-hmm. And so about two weeks later, they said, well, you, you got the show. And I was like, all right. Now, what's the show called? And they said, it's called Change Your Life with Alistair Horscroft. And I went, perfect. I love that. You know, my name is Alistair Horscroft and I'm going to change your life. No problem. That sounds great. Anyway, about a week before um, uh, we started filming, I get called into this office, yeah? And I'm sitting there like, oh, fuck, is it being cancelled? What's going on, you know? And they said, well, listen. And I said, okay, go on. And they said, we don't want to call it Change Life with Alice Horscroft anymore. And I said, well, what do you want to call it? They said, we want to call it The Life Guru. And I said, no way, I'm not doing it. And they said, what do you mean you're not doing it? I said, I fucking hate gurus. I've come from a cult with gurus. The last thing I'm going to do is you know, associate myself with gurus. I, 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 there's no fucking way. And they're like, it has to be the life guru. I said, why? I said, we want to make you a brand. And I said, well, I don't really want to be a brand. I just want to help people. Because hand on my heart, you know, uh, uh, Alex, hand on my heart, I, I, I didn't have this desire to be like a guru or, or famous. I, I truly had overcome my own issues, much to my astonishment, because I'd seen psychiatrists and psychologists and therapists, you know what I mean? Like, like I was in a bad way, do you know what I mean? And none of them fucking moved the needle at all. Do you know what I mean? It was... They didn't fucking help me at all. It just made me more uncomfortable, to be honest. And then when I started doing this kind of work that you know and I know, and all of a sudden I started, you know, along with the philosophy, started rewiring my, literally reprogramming my brain, you know, and so I could function healthily. And so I really felt that I owed it to kind of NLP. I owed it to hypnosis. Do you know what I mean? And I owed it to the general populace to show them how easy it was to actually resolve your things. Do you know what I mean? That, that was my genuine yeah. intent, you know? But of course, they wanted me to be the fucking new Paul McKenna because at the time they weren't into Paul McKenna. This is people don't realize this. Paul was had been associated with a as a hypnotist, yeah, and a stage hypnotist, and they didn't want that. They wanted the next kind of like yeah. Because the time the time level we're on about two thousand and three to two thousand five discovery, and then into two thousand and seven kind of worldwide is is that kind of transitional period. He was doing. Yes, he did have McKenna Breen and he was running the NLP courses with Bandler, but public-wise, as you say, he was yeah. still very much thought of first as a stage hypnotist, whereas right. now he's managed to switch it the other way. Yeah, and I'm glad he has, because he's a great guy. You know, no no, no, two ways about it. Um, but they genuinely wanted me to be to be Paul McKenna. What Paul McKenna became, they wanted me to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so they said, no, we're gonna, we want to brand you. And I was very uncomfortable about this. You know I mean, I was like, I don't know about this. I, was like, I need to go and think about it. And I was pretty tormented, dude. You know, really, it was very close to saying no, but I thought, oh, well, I've been given this opportunity. Let's just kind of go with it, you know? And so I was given this show and it was pretty wild, man. I mean, you know, it was, because the problem was is the first couple of episodes, I just went in and just got it all sorted in about 45 minutes to an hour just by doing kind of like NLP talk stuff. So of course, no one knew what the fuck I was doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're doing linguistic reframes, maybe a phobia cure, maybe this bit of linguistic timeline. You know what I mean? And they've got no idea what I'm doing. It's like, well, that's a shitty show. Yeah, they want it to be a bit more visual storytelling, don't they? Yeah, that's right. So all of a sudden, I'm like making timelines out of kids' fucking uh, railroad tracks, you know, to, you know what I mean? I'm doing all this kind of stuff. 
And so I was always, I had to be honest, if I have a gripe with the NLP community, I mean, I've got to be honest, the NLP community, most of them, it's a bunch of bitches, really, but we'll talk about that later. You know, I'm not a massive fan of the NLP community. You know what I mean? I, I really, I'm not. Do you know what I mean? You know, mm-hmm. my biggest question to them all is, where is your excellence gone? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, that's another discussion, you know? Um, but I was always just like, yeah, everyone just so egotistical and so full of themselves and so much narcissism and i was like well aren't we just meant to be a trying to make our own selves excellent do you know what i mean and prove excellent lives being able to do excellent things and help other people do you know what i mean like it was, it was always very binary for me it wasn't you know, it wasn't a particularly involved complex I'm thought gonna, process i'm going to ask you the question could i do i asked the questions that other people perhaps wouldn't have the balls to ask or wouldn't think of asking me because they're not had the experience themselves and i'm not saying you've had this experience okay so i fully expect you to turn around and say no wasn't like that but from my personal experience being involved with um television production helping people cure the phobias and such like and being the backroom boy for certain television life coaches who apparently i'm not allowed to mention the name of because of non-disclosure agreements, but everyone just needs to tap that phrase in Google and you'll see me associated to them, um, is that um, the TV company obviously get their researchers to go out and find people with the weird and wacky issues yeah. for you as the therapist to then deal with. Yeah. And it's my observation, both personally and with clients that I work with in terms of them being the front people on screen, that whilst they would honestly have connected to a lie detector, swear blind, but it's all completely genuine, as you see on screen, which from their perspective, arguably it is, that taking a step back and looking at what the researchers do and the way they handle it and the way the production companies, the outcome they want, is that certainly an element of what I call attention-seeking fuckwits, people who just want (laughs) their five minutes of um, screen time, end up becoming people with their alleged problems that really probably were never a problem to the degree they're claiming it to get on the show in the first place. Well, it's a shame we don't have a three-hour chat, mate, because I've got stories for you around that. You know what I mean? So I'm going to half agree with you on that. I'm going to say, yes, there were a few people who were like that. I would say, in my experience, the majority that I worked with weren't like that. And I'll tell you a couple of stories later from some of the live TV stuff that I did that are so batshit mad. Do you know what I mean? That uh, I think you might go, oh, yeah, fair enough. You know, fair enough. So... I would say I would concur that that absolutely happens, but I would also have to say that with a number of people that I work with, that definitely wasn't the case. They were broken, should we say? And I know yeah. in NLP, no one's broken, and everyone, no one needs fixing. Yes, okay, well, metaphorically, you know what I mean. Using the well, language. in fairness, you've got to be one. You've either got to be at the point where you're that broken, you don't mind effectively airing your shoes on in the media, or you've got to be. Have another motive for doing it. It's got to be one or the other, in fairness. Yeah. Now I completely agree with you. I think they're either attention-seeking, yes, they're crazy, or they're so lost and they've tried so many things 
that you do truly become their last resort. They see you as the Messiah. And I would say that unfortunately or unfortunately, I had quite a few who saw me as the Messiah. You know, but I'll tell you some funny stories from that a little bit later because they were pretty hilarious and wild. You know? I'm just going to put the TV funny. I've got my notes there for later. So keeping in order of the things I've got here, I want to kind of now go off on one slide. We're going to come back to the TV as we've written sure. that there. So sure. tell us a little bit about the thing that you're currently uh, in the release process of. I notice um, you've got a, a package coming out um, called the Hummingbird Method, drug-free transformation as powerful as plant medicine being the strap line. What, <laughs> what, what, what's this all about for the viewers and listeners? Because it looks pretty funky. Alex, you're great, man. You're very well researched. I, uh, and I appreciate that, dude. It's nice. I, um, that's going to be out in a, in, a, in, a, in a few days. So, you know, and again, these are questions I like to ask you really, because you know, you, when you get to a period of having done it for however many years, 25 years, whatever it is, you know what I mean? Obviously, you, you start getting your own take on things. Well, I did very early on, you know, and you have so much firsthand experience. You know what I mean? That you kind of start seeing patterns of what were, you start working things out, you know, start seeing things differently to how your trainers, what you learned, you know, to get you, I mean, hopefully you'd always want to, not out of arrogance, but certainly you'd always want to, you know, I've always, hero worship's always been a strange thing for me because not through arrogance, but through honoring, I've always wanted to better my heroes. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because I think that's our, I think our duty is to always try and improve, yeah, to evolve. And I find that has always been very frustrating to me in the world that we live in, the personal development and NLP and hypno world is, most of it's just a regurgitation, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's, uh, you know, there's no, there's no new thought, really. You know, and I was like, okay, is there anything new that I could bring to the table? Now, I think I have. I, I think I've brought a new program in regards to coaching, which is called the Four Domain System, but that will be released in about a month. And I think I've got something kind of cool that I can't claim is completely new, but I think it's, I think it's, new enough to be uh, useful, but also um, with enough touch points to those who have come with us to make it accessible. So I've always been, a, out of everyone that I've studied, I've always been like a huge fan of David Grove, you know, the the, the New Zealander, you know, mm -hmm. who basically is the father of clean language. Yeah? Yeah. And I've always, I never met him, I wish I had. I had two main heroes in the world, of this world. It was him and it was also Steve Andreas, yeah? And I only ever got to talk to Steve Andreas on the phone. I never got to train with him or meet him, but I always thought his books, Heart of the Mind, Transform Thyself. I thought these were the, some of the better, most practically useful books, you know, in, in the NLP kind of catalog. And I always, I always was very thankful to the NLPers who kept it practical. You know what I mean? Like you read the book and could do the thing, you know? And I was like, yeah, isn't that what this is all about? It's to codify it. So you can, if you've got half a understanding of NLP, you can read the process, do the thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, and then there's other NLPs who get so intellectual about it, you know, with their 5,000 meta programs, you know what I mean? Rather than just using the 10 that are most useful, you know, that it becomes an unusable intellectual, you know, battle, really. Yeah. You know, and I also thought that was relatively counterproductive, <laughs> you know, to the, what's that saying? You know, I heard recently, it's like, you know, genius is great but simple genius is so much better. Nice. You know, and I've always appreciated 
the people who can make simple genius because it can be accessible to as many as possible. You know what I mean? Um, I'd love genius as well, but you've really got to sit down and work your way through genius, you know? Um, but simple genius is something for the everyday person who doesn't have to, you know, can kind of advance their life with, you know? But anyway, back to the hummingbird method. So, um, if I'm honest, when I train now, whether I train coaching or hypno or NLP, it's predominantly through my version of clean language. And I think my version of clean language is the cleanest version of clean language that there is, you know? I think even if you look at, you know, Grove's, you know, clean language statements, some of them aren't particularly clean, you know? Um, they're relatively leading in their own way, you know? And my main differentiation between how a lot of people work is the difference between an associational unconscious and a spontaneous unconscious, yeah? So that's something that I have a big kind of be in my bonnet about when people run NLP processes or even hypnotic processes is a lot of the time, there's nothing unconscious going on at all. It's just the conscious mind coming in and free associating and they're thinking that's the unconscious and it's just fucking isn't, do you know what I mean? It's kind of top of mind, you know, um, imagery, you know, or symbolism yeah. that actually isn't anything spontaneous from the unconscious, you know? So whenever I'm working, like say for example, you're doing a parts integration, you know, and the average NLP trainer or NLP practitioner would go, right, and what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to think of a symbol that represents the part of you that, do you know what I mean? Well, as soon as you say that, the conscious mind is just gonna come up with an associational, what I should put there, you know what I mean? Or some kind of fleeting image that they kind of capture or something that they've read or, you know, recently, you know what I mean? Which is very, very different to saying to someone, okay, I'd like you to drop down into your unconscious. And I'd like your unconscious and only your unconscious to come up with a representation of what's really going on. You know, it's a very different piece of language. Yeah. You know, one is demanding a connection to whatever you want to call it. You know, we can have that discussion later, deeper mind, unconscious, whatever, that actually causes some kind of trans derivational search into, you know, the unconscious. Do you know what I mean? To create yeah. some kind of symbolic representation that's actually going to be useful you know what i mean and just a conscious association so a lot of my work is about differentiating associational versus spontaneous unconscious you know kind of metaphor and symbolism you know and i felt that even a lot of grove's work was relatively mm, superficial should i say you know what i mean like a lot sometimes he did get the change i don't deny that but normally if you actually read some of his the work or the stories on him you know, his, he used to take a long time to work people through, you know, his kind of process. And I'm pretty convinced that's because it took him a while to actually engage like a decent, connected, unconscious, you know, uh, expression, you know, uh, rather than an associational kind of expression. But anyway, so the hummingbird method really is this kind of concept that I've come up with, which is that really when you dig down into it, life is about narratives, you know, about stories that unfold. Okay, and so your life is a narrative, isn't it? Beginning, middle and end, yeah? But within your life, you have sub-narratives. Every relationship is a narrative, beginning, middle and end, yeah? Every health journey we go on is a narrative, you know? Every, everything's a narrative, yeah? Our, our, every business is a narrative, isn't it? There's a beginning and then a thing and it, and it ends. So of course, we run into problems when at a certain point in the narrative, it starts looping, yeah? And it can't, you know, kind of express itself any further like a book we get to chapter three in the book and it just ends there you know what i mean even though you know uh, and so then story just you know loops and loops and loops imagine reading a book and you get to chapter three and then the rest of the chapters is just chapter three repeated you know 
And that's really how a lot of people go through life, you know, whether it be a relationship or business or you know, any area of life, they'll get to a point and then that point just loops and that's it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Their stress responses remain the same. You know what I mean? So they just yeah. cope in just the same ways. They may use alcohol, maybe use drugs. They may have a problem interdynamic in their you know, marriage. And very few people really ever transcend or move. I don't hate the word transcend. So let me just recount that. Very, um, uh, very few people ever work through the, that. And that part of their narrative just loops, doesn't it? Yeah. So I think our job really mainly is just to help people kind of, you know, break the loop of the of, 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 of that part of the narrative so it can unfold to the next chapter. You know, that's really the big trick of life, you know. And now that's a put because something I was going to ask for your view on. That's the perfect time because of what you just said. You're saying that the trick is to help them break that kind of loop. Yeah. I conjecture that the only thing, or certainly the, the biggest thing by far that we do as therapists, maybe not the only thing, but certainly the biggest percentage factor is that we, with whatever modality, don't matter, whatever important seeming ritualistic process, merely give the person who's stuck in that loop, to use the uh, metaphor analogy you've just given, an excuse and permission to break it and change what they're doing. Because up to that point, I'll just give, uh, this is the example I always give when asking this question. Let's say Dave, the cocaine addict, gets up one morning and he goes, you know what? I've had enough cocaine. I'm not going to buy any more. In fact, I'm going to throw away this that I've got here as my morning stash. That's it. And he gets on with his life. Never touches cocaine again. As, as a result, he naturally ends up thinking differently. You know, there's all the knock-on uh, effect. But he bumps into family members and friends over the next couple of days and they go, bloody hell, Dave. You're looking better than I've seen you in ages. What's going on? And Dave goes... I'm not the cocaine on the head. And the family members and friends go, you what? Nice one. How, how, how have you done that? And he goes, well, I just woke up one morning, decided I wasn't going to have any more. You what? You just got up one morning, decided you weren't having any more. Why didn't you do that sooner, you fucking idiot? <laughs> and the reactions they would get would be one of, why didn't you do it sooner, for example? And that would end up ultimately leading to that individual relapsing to prove it wasn't that bloody easy to just, and to prove that they weren't a effing idiot. Whereas if they go through the ritual of going to see someone like yourself or a therapist or whatever discipline and go through this important seeming ritualistic process, and then they are no longer addicted to cocaine. When they bump into those family members and friends and they go, Dave, you're looking really well. What's going on? And he goes, well, sorry, this is coming out. I'm, uh, you know, I've knocked the cocaine on the head. And they go, wow, how have you done that? He said, well, I recently heard about this therapist who's out XYZ celebrity. And I had to save up the money, but I managed it. It was difficult. And I went and I've, I've had to do the therapy, but it's worked. It's amazing. And now all self-blame, shame, guilt, regret, and remorse is removed from him or her for not having got off their arse and done it themselves sooner. 
And it also gives them a kind of safety shield so that the family and friends can't go, why didn't you do it sooner? Because he's already kind of answered that by, I didn't know about the therapist, then I had to get the money together. But ultimately, they could have always done it themselves if it wasn't for the fact that it would have ended up likely undoing because of the scenario I've just given. And I would argue that that is the biggest thing that we do as therapists. Well, you've always had, you know, I, I remember back in the day, I got your entire collection, you know. Oh, good God. I, I remember a long time ago, I can't remember what I, when it was, I would have been 1999, 2000, probably, I don't know. I don't know, let's just say around that time. You had a big stack of uh, DVDs, you know, um, which I have to say, one of them, I... I laughed so hard, and often when I'm teaching stage hypnosis, I tell that story and everyone's belly laughing. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life, which I... So, yeah, mate, you do know that on the other side of the world, in Australia and in Thailand and America and other people I've trained, I've mentioned your name and one of your things, and the entire room has fallen around laughing, and I'll tell you what it is in a moment. Yeah, please do. I'm curious now. Which one? Yeah. So, I think... There is some truth to what you're saying. So say, for example, if you look at Jeffrey Swartz's book, which I think is one of the great books, it's called You Are Not Your Brain. Yeah, and it's one of the great reads, okay, about self-directed neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. He says that basically simply at the level of brain, you know what I mean? It's going to be basically a very train us like a train us like a mammal monkey. Do you know what I mean? Like, really, you know, it's uh, which is basically um, operant conditioning. You know what I mean? Where basically, yeah, uh, associate with the thing that you want and reward yourself for it. You know what I mean? Or, you know, and he basically posits that every so-called negative feeling or thought that we have, the solution to resolving that is to ignore it and focus on what you do want, you know, and then over time, self-directed neuroplasticity, you know, demands that the neurons rewire yeah and yeah your brain repatterns and hey you got a new behavior a new thought process yeah yeah so donald hebe's law neurons that fire together wire together together, you know and so it's basically nothing more than putting your attention you know where it needs to go where you want it to go rather than where it wants to default you know so we could say that all of these patterns are stress response defaults you know like taking coke whatever it was and then, you know, you kind of put your attention somewhere else. And so I kind of half agree with you. I think there are two, I think there are different ways in which you can obviously change people. And I, I think that what you're saying is there's a, there's a lot of rights to it, but I don't think it's the full thing that, from my perspective. You know, obviously we're both professionals and we can oh, yeah. chat about till till the, you know, till the cows come home. Do you know what I mean? I'm not denying what you're saying. I just feel there's a little bit more to it. You know what I mean? Um, Well, I I would say there is a little bit more to it as well. But that other little bit more um, only really, in my opinion, made up of two things. One is making the individual actually feel as though they're worthwhile, that they're loved, wanted, needed, appreciated, cared for, cherished and valued, building up the self-esteem, self-image, self-confidence, self-control, their Mm self-worth ultimately, because... Otherwise, if it's an imbalance in any of them, they're going to seek something to fill the gap, smoking, drinking, whatever. So we build them up. And then the other element, and big element, I believe, is placebo response. 
I think placebo is huge. And I think that a lot of the work, I mean, I think what I like that what you're saying is it's often a lot easier than everyone claims. And I'm completely with you on that. So every time I had a, I was coaching a guy the other day, you know, very, very successful guy, but he kept on using this excuse that he has self-doubt, you know, so you'd get to a certain point and then self-doubt would come in, you know, and then, so what I said to him really was, look, listen, you've heard about stress responses. And he goes, yeah. And I said, all that self-doubt is, is a stress response. You know, you get to a certain situation, your brain starts getting overwhelmed. You know what I mean? Because it's being tested to go to the next level. It's being stretched beyond its comfort zone. You know, you're, you're all from a neuroscience perspective. It's being required to go against it, uh, to, to burn more calories and to m go against familiarity and security and go out into risk, which it doesn't like. Do you know what I mean? So from that perspective, all that's really happening is it's getting overwhelmed and your stress response or your code for overwhelm is, you know, oh, I can't do it and self-doubt. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, fair enough. So I said, so every time you have self-doubt, just simply say to yourself, this is just a stress response and lean in. And he goes, really, is it that simple? And we'll give it a go. Yeah. And of course, now he doesn't have any problems <laughs> with that area. Yeah. So I would say that my version's as simple as yours, but I suppose I'm using more, you know, kind of neuroscience based approach, you know, to dress it up. You know what I mean? Um, maybe. Well, don't get me wrong. What I'm talking about here is between us as therapists yeah. and viewers and listeners as therapists. Absolutely. I would not, I would not tell the client in front of me any of this. <laughs> Clearly not. Um, just to clarify that this is very much a, yeah. Alice, uh, you know, uh, uh, Wizard of Oz, even I was thinking of it. Yeah, no, I get it. What I'm saying is, is maybe my from your perspective, if I was to go to your model of the world, my frame of neuroscience and neuroplasticity, maybe that is the prestige, you know what I mean, dressed up, you know what I mean, mm -hmm. that gives the that you're talking about. That's what yeah. I'm saying, Do you, know what I'm saying? you know what I mean. So I'm saying, yeah, maybe it's my, my I'm just got a different metaphors, really, because you know, that's what people don't quite understand is most thinking anyway is not all, but most is metaphorical anyway. Do you know what I mean? So you're just using a different metaphor than I am to give the person permission to go, oh yeah, right. I can just do that then, you know? So the reason I, you know, one of the reasons I came to these conclusions, aside from seeing results, I mean, you could call that confirmation bias, obviously. Uh, I get that, you know, that, that could come into it what came to these conclusions was, and we mentioned this much earlier, and I've just seen my bullet point there, was years ago um, when I was kind of like 12, 13, so we're going 80, 85, 86, 87, 88, 89, that sort of era. I was doing psychic fairs in England, doing tarot reading and whatnot, and I ended up getting invited to uh, a sweat lodge which at the time I didn't know what it was. And to be honest, I thought it was a bit bizarre when I, when I first got there. For any of you as a listener who don't know, basically it, it's, it's, like, um, it's like a sauna that's been built out of storms in the middle of a field, knowing um, you basically get your kit off and go in. And there is a, there's a ritual element to it of um, offloading your stresses verbally. And that's by the by, that was my first, what the hell's going on here? But I ended up reading up on and getting involved in shamanism to, 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 to a degree. And one of the things they do, is, uh, I'm sure you're aware, is power animal journeys, which 
to the therapists um, viewing and listening who don't know about it, my layman's explanation of that would be that um, effectively the, 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 the guy who, who ran this on me, he had a, a box full of plastic um, animals because they were all bought out. So, you know, you've got the bear, the tiger, he had the plastic representations of them. And what you would arguably as a therapist probably recognise as a progressive relaxation, muscular relaxation, and then mind, um, mental relaxation, journeying somewhere type induction process was gone through, albeit they don't refer to it in that manner. And a journey took place in the mind, guided visualisation, call it what you will, Although the one thing I now know, having looked at the what you recognise as the script, um, is that there came a point where I, I was left to go and wander in a forest and I would come face to face with an animal. And, I, and when I did, at an appropriate time, when I felt it was safe, I would awaken and I would know which, which, which animal it was. And metaphorically, this was my power animal. And I went through this and I, to be honest, I can't even remember what animal it was I came out and said. But I do know, and obviously the embedded suggestion was there visually, that it was one of those that was displayed by the plastic animals that was there, which I was then given to keep as a, as a, a focus symbol. Now, that sounds all a bit winky-wanky, I suppose, to the, the way I've just explained it to people who've not been through it, but it is presented in such a serious uh, and sincere manner by the person running it that at the time it seemed very significant indeed and this was just before I ever uh, got qualified in hypnotherapy anywhere but as time went on I looked back on that and thought that had all the components, shamanism within it, and albeit they use different terms in their books, uh, the Native American Indians. Um, all of hypnotherapy is in books on shamanism that predate hypnosis and mesmerism and, and stuff. Yeah, I, 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 there's a, again, there's a lot that I agree with. And then there's some things that I think, yeah, maybe need to be investigated in what you said. Yeah. So I would say that the experience that you had, I, I, I don't mean to be rude, but it sounds a little bit like just a new age kind of, you know, Kmart shamanism. You know what I mean? Like that's, well, not, I don't mean that in a rude way, but that's, I, that isn't normally how one would in that world assess or, or connect with a power animal, you know, with some plastic ones in front of you. But that's another story. I think this leads... The thing that added to it, Lord, the guy who did it was American. Yeah. So he had a nice American accent, which made it all that more. <laughs> yeah, those fucking Americans with their American accent, everyone falls for it, don't they? You know, I, I always, whenever I heard myself doing hypnosis when I first started out or when I was, even when I'm speaking to you, I go, I think they're probably expecting an American, you know? And then you've got your English accent and you're like, oh yeah, maybe it's not as sexy as the American there. <laughs> um, this kind of leads into the hummingbird method, to be honest. So we kind of- Okay, cool. I think it really does kind of pose some very interesting 
questions and things that are worth exploring. And again, I don't want to go too far into this, but I think this might be an interesting insight. So obviously, one of the things that I enjoyed most about some of the NLP work, some of David Grove's work, was this whole concept of the isomorphic transition. You know, be familiar with that term. So an isomorphism basically means a one-to-one -one relationship, and it kind of came out of science. There's metaphorical isomorphism. And basically, it's the idea of, say, for example, I'm working with a client, and I say, okay, so they go, I'm doing anxiety. And I say, okay, so what's your anxiety like? And with that language, I'm kind of inferring, give me a metaphor, you know? And so for example, the client says, oh, it's like a burning fire, you know? So now we have a metaphorical representation of the anxiety, don't we? Yeah. So we would say that's an isomorphic transition where the presented issue, yes, has now been domain mapped or isomorphically transposed into a metaphorical equivalent. All happy with that? Now, when um, this kind of therapy or David Grove would do his work, the idea is, or even Erickson, because most of Erickson's work is actually around isomorphic transitions, is if I can present a solution within the metaphor, yeah, it's highly likely that that metaphor, uh, solution in the metaphor will be domain mapped back into the experience of the individual. Yeah, so what does that look like? Well, this is where, egos and my desire for the hummingbird method is to try and prove to everyone yes that actually we don't need really facilitators or we do need a facilitator the only facilitator you really need is someone who is absolutely clean in what they do yeah so remember you're talking about tarot you talked about tarot when you were you know uh, did the tarot thing well tarot readers are always amusing to me for the simple reason is they feel the need to be a conduit or a middleman to the information yeah you know what would happen if the client just looked at the you know pentagram of whatever the fucks and got their own interpretation well no that's not allowed we need <laughs> mystical tarot well, actually readers. just to I, I agree with you the majority of tarot readers do it the way that you just mentioned but there are some really clever ones yeah. Who, uh, 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 the, the open, uh, shut eyes who believe the psychic. I never did. Uh, yeah. It was called an open eye because I came from a magical trickery background. And yeah. there are some, and I did towards the end, literally, they pick the cards and I tell them very briefly, this is meant to mean this generally. However, yeah. I get a sense and a feeling that this means something very different to you. Yeah. And I'd just like to take a few moments to look and tell me what it is you feel that this could mean to you and just sit back and say nothing and let them yeah. do all the talking. See, that I would say would be really most likely highly useful. Yeah, like far more useful than having the tarot reader. Why? Well, because again, in metaphor, you have what we call implicit and explicit metaphor. An explicit metaphor is basically an archetypal metaphor where it's been a part of our collective unconscious for so long that we've all kind of agreed upon its meaning, you know, like warrior, sage, magician, lover. You know, I mean, these are all archetypes, yeah, because, and that as a result of that, they've become a part of our collective unconscious symbolic yeah. language. People yeah. generally understand them in a similar manner. In a yeah. similar way, that's right, yeah. Of course, implicit metaphor is what you were doing, which is, but you were kind of, you were kind of going half, half. You gave them a bit of an explicit metaphor. This is vaguely what it means, but then you allowed them to put their own implicit or intrinsic meaning on top of it. Yeah. The question would be is say, for example, you hadn't told them what any of them meant. Yeah. And you just said, well, here's a picture, you know, what does it mean to you? Then that is going to rely purely on implicit, you know, interpretation, isn't it? 
Yeah. Yeah. And you know, in later years, I didn't do it with the tarot, but because of that tarot background, effectively realising the worth of what you just said. Um, crikey. We've had the pandemic, so that's added two years on somewhere. So I think it was a, I think it was about 2017. I, I ran a course that I called Psychophysio-Energetic Alignment of Changing Energies and Emotions, which the wow. acronym PEACE. Give your clients in a piece. Uh, and, and, and what I came up with, I say I came up with, because years ago at the Psychic Fairs, I wanted to make more money. So what I did was I, I got um, a sort of credit card size piece of paper, and I literally got a book from the library on talismans and stuff. And yeah. I draw things like, you know, the eye in the pyramid in a circle. But loads yeah. of different talisman images on this card. And I photocopied a load of them on card, cut them out so they're credit card size, put this instruction pamphlet together and called it the Amazing Talis Card. Carry this around for luck, energy, success and all this. And sold them and that was back. Good God, 1988 ish, 89, for 10 quid a time. And people actually would come back to future psychic fairs and said it, it, the life had changed dramatically of carrying this around, which taught, which is another reason why I got so heavily into the idea of the placebo. But then years on, combined with the tarot thing we were just talking about, I thought, oh, it's dead easy to find images already done now, clip art, copyright free on the internet. So I went and found loads of different coloured. Talisman images, weird, laid a load out on an A4 sheet, printed it out and called it the energy board and started experimenting, just putting it down in front of people at the start of a therapeutic session with one suggestion only. There's a load of images here. They're not meant to make any sense to your conscious level at all, so don't worry about that. But you'll be drawn for some reason, you'll know why, when it feels right, to one or maybe more of these images. When you are, just let me know. And leave them to it, and they'd end up picking one or two or, or, or whatever. Sometimes they go, well, I don't know, but I'm being drawn to those two and those. It didn't matter. Whatever they did, just react as low, that's normal. And I'd have the uh, cards with those images on separately, so they're not on the board, so we could take those out. And whatever bollocks I thought up at the time, literally. So it might be, so are you getting a good feeling with them, a bad feeling? Leave them to do all the talking and then get them to move the images around or rip them up or burn them if they were bad ones or if they were good ones, tell them the key. Whatever was logical to have changed things the opposite way around so that metaphorically they've changed it so they'll get the result. And the thing is, it works. Although, frankly, it's bollocks. <laughs> no, you see, I reckon that you should bring your energy board back because I think you're getting closer and closer to the essence of things. And uh, this is where it gets very, very interesting because, first of all, what you're doing is quite similar to psychotherapeutic sand play. You know what I mean? Where they mm -hmm. just, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff, you know. But again, all, my problem with all of these is, see, as you know, you know, like the thing I've always kind of liked about you from afar is you've always been brutally honest. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I've always appreciated that. You're, well, my you're version about, like, of honesty, because obviously yeah, everyone's own experience is their experience. Yeah. yeah. But you've attempted to kind of like, as you said, be the Wizard of Oz. You've attempted to open the curtain and go, well, it's not actually like this, it's like that. Or, you know, this is this and this is that. And, I, and I've always appreciated that. 
there's nothing that I can't stand more, I can't stand more than, you know, people who create mysticism and magic to sell shit when they're about as genuinely mystical and magical as, you know, a fucking children's, you know, magic set from, you know, Kmart for $9.99. Do you know what I mean? Um, it, it, it drives me up the wall. And of course, I, I personally believe that New Ageism and Eastern mysticism have kind of contributed massively to fucking up not just the planet, but certainly the area of therapy. Do you know what I mean? It annoys the shit out of me. But anyway, that's another conversation. Maybe if we have a part two, you know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe if we do an interview part two, you can let me unload on that. But anyway, let's go back to what you were saying, because I think that is at the heart of what we're now honing in on like quite a profound concept that you've kind of, in your own way, you've kind of worked out. Do you know what I mean? But I said, you've got a cynic's head. So you've kind of worked it out with your cynic head. Yeah. But if I were, I wouldn't look at it cynically. I would look at it being A, an NLP who models things out and be a philosopher who always wants to look at things, what we call a priori rather than empirically. So in fairness, from that point of view, then it will come down to, I don't know, I'm not making this overly simplistic, but you know, I've forgotten who said it, but the answer to everything is within oneself. Can't, yeah, I mean, yeah, but let's let, let, let's let's unpack this a little bit because what your energy board is actually quite similar to the hummingbird method, but again, the, the differences, yeah? So if we go back and we kind of top and tail what we've covered already. So we talked about implicit and explicit, explicit metaphor, yeah? And we talked about... The problem is, is we've talked about also uh, a therapist or a tarot reader wants to be the conduit. They want to be the middleman between knowledge and answer and the client. Yeah. So there's obviously already a, a distrust in the client's ability to come to their own conclusion. Yes. Because they need a middleman to help them, you know, facilitate, yeah, get that, that answer. Yeah. So I've always been like, whenever I do therapy or NLP or change work, I always try and literally remove myself and and my only job as the middleman is to facilitate rather than answer unless i'm in a role where i'm coaching or i need to give data yeah so because obviously our maps expand with data we need knowledge sometimes you know i mean you can't just go oh i'm gonna get all from within that's the biggest load of shit i've ever heard that's like putting someone on an empty island all by themselves and say learn everything about the world you can't learn fuck all you know what I mean? You need to be in a, in a community with people who are more intelligent than you to learn from so that your map of life and the world expands. You know what I mean? Like a, a man is not an island. You know what I mean? So all this kind of like, all these people who go, well, you learn everything from within. No, that's absolute nonsense. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I said, oh, you want to play that game? Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to drop you off in the middle of the fucking Pacific on a little sand island. You've got all the water that you need, all the fucking food that you need, but you go and try and work out quantum mechanics from the fish. You know what I mean? We'll come back to you in five years' time and see how far you've got. Do you know what I mean? It's it's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Yeah. Of course, you need people who are extraordinary and learn learn it. Do you know what I mean? To learn from. You know what I mean, of course you do. Yeah. So that, that's half true. But saying that, we are getting to a point where, if we go back to my initial example of the person who has anxiety, and I said, "Okay, what's your anxiety like?" And they said, "It's like a burning fire." Yeah. Well, I did exactly this with a room of about 500 psychologists, therapists, hypnotherapists, they're all in the room. Yeah. And I set that up as a scenario. Yeah. And I said, okay, so you've got this person and they've now expressed their 
you know, fire as a metaphor. What do you think needs to happen next? Yeah. And of course, everyone's like, well, tell them to put water on it. Tell them to blow it out. You know what I mean? So of course, what they all did is come from their model of the world. Yes. That has nothing to do with the client. And they've tried to solve the problem with their metaphorical idea about how that problem should be solved. Yeah. This is fucking stupid. It's, un- it's, it's insane. The ego involved in that exchange is so mind-blowing to me. Do you know what I mean? But yet, the whole NLP, hypno, and coaching world is full of what I just said. Yeah? Sadly, yes. I couldn't agree more because, well, yeah, that's an entirely different... It's the old therapist searching for answers to their own bloody problems. It's their own... But not only yeah, why not? Searching- I guess you're going to say, why not just ask the client what needs to be done to it? Well, but kind of, nearly. But okay. yeah, kind of, but yes, but no, because obviously similar is not the same. So yeah, mm-hmm. I am, but no, I'm not. But first of all, just for the listeners, because I know you get it, let's get really, really clear that exactly as you're saying, most therapists are so unresolved themselves that when a client brings up, it's like a fire, they try and solve it how they would solve their own problem, which is A, a massive fucking error. Do you know what I mean? Yes? Yeah. Your job is not to do that. Your job is to remain absolutely clean. And exactly as you're saying, is invite the client to explore this a little bit more. Is there anything else about the fire, which would be a classic David Grove question, yeah? But here's where we run into what we talked about a little bit earlier, the spontaneous versus the associational. Because if I let the conscious mind now come in and bugger around with the fire, yeah, ain't nothing gonna happen, yeah? So I have to find a way of getting the conscious mind out of the way. How do I do that? Well, that's not hard. You just go become the observer, let your conscious mind get out of the way. And then I'd like you, your conscious mind is allowed to feedback what it observes, but it's not allowed to change what it observes. Yeah, that's the big difference. Yeah, so the conscious mind can go, oh yeah, I can see a fire. Yeah, and it's a large fire, about three foot tall and three foot wide. And you know what I mean? Okay, it's allowed to do that. But when I say, is there anything else? The conscious mind, once again, is allowed to observe and feedback what the unconscious has presented. But now, what has to happen is I now need to engage the unconscious to do the next thing. So once that's occurred, I need to say, okay, now I'd like you to drop down into deep mind. I'd like to ask your unconscious what needs to happen. Yeah? You observe. You don't get in the fucking way. I don't want your conscious mind to try and twiddle and work out what needs to happen. I don't give a shit about what your conscious mind wants to happen. I want you to get your deeper mind. Now, then what happens is this starts becoming a narrative that unfolds. Yeah, this starts becoming a narrative. So, say for example, we do all the other therapists did, put water on it, put it out, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, gonna do nothing. If I invite the client to connect with their deeper metaphorical mind, and here's where maybe it gets interesting, because if you look at books like The Cosmic Serpent, which is about ayahuasca, or you look at certain books like Yu Yu Jung, or you look at Savants, you look at a lot of these areas, there is a working theory that I personally am quite a believer in that actually symbolism is actually such an innate part of us. Jung said this as well. That's actually a part of our genetics. Yes. So yeah, I, we- I agree. You've only, you've only got to look at, um, some people I think I've lost the plot now when I mention this, but you've only got to look at declassified MK Ultra documents yeah. uh, to see that it wasn't just mind control with trauma-based mind control that they were looking at. They did look at the triggers for going from one altar to another, one mind state to another that they implanted, were visual imagery. Yeah. And a lot of their research 
also then was taken on by the Tavistock uh, Hospital, which became the Tavistock yeah. Institute of Human uh, relations, which has then as its most recent offshoot has become the Behavioural Insights team in Westminster, uh, which is known as the Nudge Unit. And one of the major things that they do in line with the 77th Battalion, I think I've got the right one, which is the PSYOPs um, of the British Army, is uh, what they call mimetic warfare, which is go. visual image memes yeah. In order to capture people, because the research shows that the visual imagery, the words that are on it, which quite often are propaganda that they want, are more likely to go in because it goes directly into the um, unconscious, bypasses the critical faculty because of the visual imagery. So great, dude. So great. I love what you just said. And um, oh, yeah, I'm would be pretty much all in with you on that one. You know what I mean? So yeah, so we have this this, uh, this amazing theory, idea, concept that, as you said, symbolism or metaphorical symbolic language is such an innate part of us that it is a gen part of our genetic code, yeah? And that's where we differ to animals. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So but anyway, that's another story. But let's say, for example, once again, we go back to the fire. And I managed to get the conscious mind out of the way and just allow the unconscious genetic code to begin to express itself. Yes, this unconscious symbolic narrative. And I said, well, what needs to happen next? And I truly am able to get the spontaneous narrative to unfold. Well, in this actual case study, what happened, case study, what actually happened is these wind came in and made the fire larger. Yeah, now of course the conscious mind freaked out and was like, no, no, fuck that. I don't want the, I don't want the fire to get larger. You know, because of course they so they knew that there had been this isomorphic transition and the anxiety was the fire. Yeah. So they were like, mm -hmm. fuck that. You know, so they tried to get out of it. And I was like, no, no, just relax, drop down and ask your unconscious what needs to happen. They said, Oh, that's interesting. All of a sudden the fire's burnt down, you know, the fire, the, the, the forest and the trees around. Okay, what happens next? And then of course this narrative unfolds where the fire burns down. The, trees it goes you know, all blackened then over time the blackened stuff becomes the new soil yeah and then the new soil becomes plants and then a forest a green forest with lots of life and stuff yeah and then of course at the end hey presto the person doesn't have their anxiety disorder anymore okay why doesn't the client have their anxiety disorder anymore well because of the isomorphic transition the solution was put in the metaphor by the unconscious yeah, it unfolded as a narrative, broke the loop, yes, that we talked about earlier. And then, hey, presto, we have a solution. It's like I divorced about nine years ago and I had insomnia for about three months and I was running a course. And I was like, fucking hell, I'll, you'd probably get best get some sleep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because I, I had all these thoughts like, oh, my mom was an insomniac, but my dad wasn't, but my brother is. She maybe as I'm getting older and becoming like my mum, you know, all that kind of conscious thoughts. So I was like, no, shut the fuck up and just ha deal with this. You know what I mean? So one night I just put myself in and said, okay, I'm conscious. Now here's where it gets interesting. And this is quite an interesting thing. And I'm giving you quite a lot here from, you know, from you know, my recent work, but for those listening, the whole thing is in the hummingbird method. Do you know what I mean? And I explain. Go to the link below the video or the podcast speaker. If you're on the podcast channels, go it's to the link. Released for a couple of days, but I reckon it's one of the best few hundred bucks you're ever going to spend because it's going to go into the things we're talking about now in great detail and actually upgrade your skills quite significantly. Um, but so the conscious mind was trying to, you know, do all this kind of nonsense. I said, okay, drop down, mate, into your unconscious. And here's where it gets interesting. So say, for example, 
we talk about gestalts, yeah? And the word gestalt parts that make up the whole. Well, say for example, I'm working, I'm a psychologist and I'm working with an anxiety disorder. They might work out a little bit of the gestalt as in, oh, the anxiety happens when such and such happens and it might be related to this incident in childhood. Okay, so they've got some parts that are making up the experience of anxiety. But of course, you and me know that anxiety can affect innumerable parts of someone's life. You know what I mean? Like from how they sleep to how they wake up to the foods they eat to how they go through their day to, you know, relationships to childhood to this. You know, I mean, there's a lot of parts that make up this term anxiety. And so all of those. So anxiety is really just a generalized term for the gestalt of all the parts that make up anxiety. Does that make sense? Yeah. So a lot of the time when we just try and work with something in its most singular, because a lot of people go, you've got to get and just work with the anxiety. You know what I mean? Well, yeah and no, because if I say to the unconscious, I'd like you to get a representation of anxiety, I'm actually limiting the gestalt. Yeah, I'm dictating that actually the anxiety is the most important part of the gestalt. Does that make sense? But if I say, if I talk about the anxiety and I have the person consciously begin to talk about all the way it affects them and I begin to kind of allow the conscious mind to, as it were, create links to many more aspects of the gestalt, yeah? And then I simply say to the unconscious, so I'd like you to get an image or a representation of what's going on. Yeah. That open generic language actually, in my experience, causes the unconscious to actually begin to create symbolic narratives or imagery that contain the entirety of the gestalt rather than just the limited term within the gestalt. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You're following what I'm up to. Yeah. So often when I'm working with a client, mm -hmm. I'll kind of get to talk about all their stuff, yeah? And then when I engage their unconscious, I'll say, I'd like your unconscious to get in touch with what's going on. And in that looseness, yeah, I'm giving the unconscious permission to actually connect with the major part of the gestalt or elements of the gestalt that are actually causing the most biggest problem. Now, I learned that technique from brain training in, um, and QEEG neurofeedback, where I learned that when you retrain a brain, you can't actually demand, say, for example, you go to brain training to resolve autism or anxiety or depression. Sometimes that's not the first thing that the brain resolves. The brain actually resolves a thing that's taking up most of its energy first that might not be that thing. Okay. That's interesting, though. No? Yeah, mm -hmm. because human beings are so linear and we're so kind of um, uh, we think we're so right in how we go about doing things. We actually forget that we're working in uh, narratives and gestalts all the time our conscious mind isn't always aware of what the most important part of that narrative of the gestalt is that's going to have the greatest impact on that person's life yeah we just assume that the thing that we want to work with is the thing does that make sense because that's the thing that we yeah. become kind of neurotic about yeah but actually when you look at um you know a brain training you know neuroplasticity when you look at you know changing brainwave patterns with yeah, neurofeedback yeah, you actually start realizing that actually the brain starts to decide, yeah, what it wants to sort out first. And that's not always the presenting problem. Yeah. So sometimes you might, I remember I went and did a 22 neurofeedback sessions for one particular area of life I want to improve on. And for about, you know, 11 sessions, I was like, well, this isn't really doing anything. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, then on the 12th or the 13th, the thing that I want to sort out, sort it out. But then I realized, oh, hang on, all these other things had been sorted out but I hadn't been able to see those things because I was so obsessed and with the one thing that I wanted to sort out. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So if we go back to the hummingbird method and we also, and I was talking about my 
um, insomnia. Well, my insomnia was represented by a glass vase with thousands of spiders in it. And these thousands of spiders kind of fell off, um, you know, fell down and went everywhere. Now, my conscious mind could easily start wanting to go, well, what do the con what do the spiders mean? You know, are they my thoughts? What, what, what's, what's the spiders? You know what I mean? So, of course, most people, they want to try and get the answer before the narrative is unfolded. They want, they want to get the answer in chapter three or a quarter of the way through the movie rather than letting the movie play out. And that's why a lot of people never succeed in actually breaking a loop or actually changing their life because they keep on trying to attach meaning or understanding far too early in the therapeutic process. Does that make sense? Yeah? Yeah, it does. So, so I basically, because I'm obviously long in the tooth with all this kind of stuff, I let my conscious mind told it to quieten down and just ask it to unfold. And then basically to cut a long story short, eventually all the spiders kind of went, some went behind pictures, some went outside underground, some went in the corners and they went massively still. Yeah, I fell asleep and my insomnia was gone. And then post change over the week or two that followed, I kind of allowed myself to have some reflective reflection on what occurred. Yeah, so some conscious integration for one of the better way of saying things. Yeah, and I kind of thought, yeah, maybe the spiders were my thoughts, and this was that, and this was that, and this was that. And I started kind of seeing, I suppose, the isomorphic transition, the solution, you know what I mean, that had occurred. Yeah. But I didn't really, I didn't um, investigate that until the change had already happened. Yeah. I mean, you know that as well. I mean, imagine you're running timeline, or you imagine you're running your you know, energy board on someone, and they want the answer five minutes in, but you know that actually it's you know going to take 20 minutes before the process is ended and then at the end of the process they'll look back and go oh, yeah fuck they have their epiphany yeah so the biggest problem with the conscious mind or you know people in therapy you know and especially in talk therapy and psychology is they go to a therapy session and then the therapy session reveals something and then they become neurotic about that thing and then they start talking about that for the next fucking 20 sessions but in fact that thing was really not just part of a minor thing i mean they needed to do all, you know, three or four hours and then look back and they could see it in context, yeah? Mm -hmm. So uh, so anyway, to, to, to sum up, the hummingbird method really is my way, you know, honoring David Grove and NLP and blah, 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 blah. But I think that I've genuinely worked out to a certain degree how plant medicine works because all plant medicine really is doing is using metaphor yes but getting drugs to get the conscious mind out of the way so you can fully involve yourself in the you know metaphorical narratives that unfold you know what i mean and i feel that i've just created a a more complete system than grove did i think grove got a lot of the way there and he himself acknowledged that his work was like um what do you call it when open source do you know what i mean so he yeah. wanted people to um to take it further um and so yeah I, I feel that well i know because i've obviously helped a lot of people with it and yeah, i'm pretty proud of it mate it just kind of i think it just some it, it provides it not only will it provide you with an awful lot of you know um, uh, solutions to problems i think it'll also make people a much cleaner practitioner yes where they don't have to be the one with the answer they can truly be what i think we all eventually evolve to being yes which is just the facilitator to have the person get in touch with their own, you know, unconscious processing. Which I agree with you entirely. But to play devil's advocate, I've got to, I've got to ask this because um, ultimately the client does it for themselves. 
as you've just uh, alluded to, but what about the importance or, 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 the, or rather, I don't know if importance is the best word, perhaps the psychological perception and need in some people, belief they may already have, whether it's conditioned through films, TV, stuff they've read, or the fact that a friend of theirs has said, I went to see X, Y, Z personally, this. The need for an authority figure to tell them everything's going to be okay, that they can do this. Um, because obviously with something where I'm guessing, you know, hummingbird method wise, you, you kind of say this is something they could do solely for themselves, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, what about those people who perhaps got that preconceived idea that they need that authority figure, that approval or that guidance? Yeah. So here's the thing with that, dude, and I'm actually writing another program on that as well. And All right, cool. And that's in part because I've got a bit different take on hypnosis. And I know that we would absolutely agree on our, our take on hypnosis, but I've got a different intention now for where to take the world of hypnosis because I'm a little bit over hypnotists, if that the truth be known. Yeah. Um, and it's based really off the work to a certain degree of Julian Jaynes, who created, who wrote the very famous 1977 book called the origin of consciousness and the bicameral mind. So, you know, it's, you know, just go on to Wikipedia and you can get a free sense of it. But the, if we leave that aside for a second and we just go to Milgram's experiment, you know, the famous Milgram experiment, we yeah. know that around 70% of the population are submissive by nature, 30% are dominant. We know that out of the dominant, only about 5% actually have tuned truly into their dominance. So what do we actually mean by dominant? Well, someone who is truly dominant has basically worked through or has been born advantaged to be able to no longer be beholden to tradition, parent, authority. You know what I mean? They are truly intrinsically generated. Yet, yeah? So they are truly their own inner authority. That's what it means to be dominant. Yeah. Someone who has true inner authority has a very strong directing, directive, powerful, conscious mind that is able to be the dominant to the submissive unconscious mind. Yeah, because you, if we go with the model that you were using, you are saying that obviously when we, we know that in hypnosis, when you hypnotize someone and we use prestige, do you know what I mean? We're being yeah. the dominant, aren't we? Yeah, we're yeah. being the dominant and making their unconscious submissive, aren't we? That's really what we're doing, yeah? So, of course, if you've got empathy, you're still being dominant, but you're being lovingly dominant. <laughs> you're being kind-heartedly dominant. Yes. Uh, AKA, I'm a facilitator. I'm a therapist. Do you know what I mean? I'm love and light. Love and light. Do you know what I mean? But we know that all the love and light gurus are hardcore dominance. That's what they are. And they're hardcore narcissistic dominance. That's what they are. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not that dominant because when they come across someone who's actually more dominant, their dominance starts to fade, but they're at least pseudo-dominant. Yeah, we, we know this. Yeah, if you've got a guru, he's a dominant, isn't he? Do you know what I mean? Obviously, they haven't done the work. They come apart in, you know, front of a true dominant. And I don't mean to be egotistical, but I've always been both physically and intellectually better handle myself. Yeah, and, you know, box from a young age. And once I got my brain working again, you know, I can, like you, you know, I can think things through. So I would go to gurus and they can't physically intimidate me. You know what I mean? They can't intellectually intimidate me. And so they would come apart at the seams 
very, very rapidly. All of them. Didn't matter who they were. Some big NLP names. You know what I mean? I remember one. He got so annoyed with me. You know, what very famous, one of the most famous ones there is. He's like, if you don't fucking shut up, I'm, I'm going to come down there and I'm going to remove you from my room myself. And all I said was, come on then. <laughs> and he said, sat down again. <laughs> nice. Um, I used to be a guru buster. I used to go to all the gurus, the mystics and the gurus in London and just call them out. And my trick was just to make them angry. I'd just make them angry. And once they got really angry, I'd say, oh, for a guru, you've got great emotional control. <laughs> that was my trick. So, the, but going back to what we were saying, I think I do agree with you. I think, unfortunately, you know, we're still in a world where a lot of people need a dominant to get them to do stuff. My next mission, once I'm in bird in the four domains of doing their thing, yeah, is really to try and have everyone truly understand what true self-ownership is. You know I mean, people don't get it. If you're still doing what mommy and daddy tell you to do, if you're still telling me doing what your religion tells you to do, if you're still doing what the crystal waving featherhead is telling you to do, if you're still doing, you know, what your peer group pressure you to do, you know, go out and drink and get fucked up all the time. You know what I mean? If you're still taking the abuse of your wife or your husband, you know what I mean? If you're being ruled by your kids, you are not a dominant. You are, you do not have, you know, true inner authority, you know. And you know, someone with true inner authority, you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're a different breed to be around. You know, they're not assholes at all. You know what I mean? They're, they're as Virginia Satir would say, they are truly on the level. You know what I mean? They are able to express themselves clearly, have boundaries. They're able to be vulnerable, but only to the people that they choose to be vulnerable with. Not like this new woke brigade. You just want to be vulnerable with everyone. That's fucking stupid. Do you know what I mean? You know, you have to be, you have to assess, you know what I mean? Who you can be vulnerable with and who not to be. Do you know what I mean? You know, you are able to um, uh, be a distractor in as much as you're able to fit in if you want, but you're also absolutely able to not fit in if you don't want, you know? So, you know, you're uh, someone who's truly done the work you know, they're a different breed. And that's what I'm interested in helping people become. You know what I mean? Because you get to a point in life, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you, you know what I mean? Like, we might have a differing opinion, but it's respectful and I'm going to listen and I'm going to learn and I'm not challenged or intimidated. And I would hope that you're not challenged or intimidated by me. You know, no, I mean, own... I, I'm, I'm a believer that the fact is you, there is no question that what you do and whatever your beliefs behind it are, has consistently worked well for you for years. Simple as. People's yeah. lives have been changed. Yeah. And it doesn't particularly matter how you got to that point as long as you were consistently getting those results and those people's lives were being changed. Yeah. The, the rest of it is kind of, you could argue, completely bloody academic. As long as it works, excellent. But obviously, as we know, as human beings, we do like to kind of take ownership of things and have a sense of, and I suppose that's where the being human bit comes in. I think so. And I also think that there is a, I don't know, you know, I think in life sometimes, I don't know whether you call it an inner calling or whatever it might be, but, you know, currently, you know, if you really think about what we do, and I think that we are in a position where, like I've always tried to massively separate myself from clinical psychology, because yeah? I'm not a massive fan of clinical psychology. I think it's so full of holes and so ridiculous that I've always 
try to clearly say, no, I'm not that. I don't, and I'm not trying to be that. Like, go and do that if you want, but I'm something completely different. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I want that to be very clearly stated. I'm not one of those people who tries to be a hypno-counsellor. No, I'm not a counsellor in any shape or form. You know what I mean? If you want to go and see a counsellor, go and see a counsellor. But that is not what we do here. Same with clinical psychology. If you want to go and see one, knock yourself out, go and do it. That is not what we do. One thing that like, really irritates me about our field is everyone trying to be hypno-psychs or hypno-counsellors. It's like, no, put your flag in the sand and be what you are. You know what I mean? Like, stop trying to cross-contaminate. <laughs> you know what I mean? I find that, you know, kind of annoying, to be honest. But I think more importantly, I think that, you know, if you take um, what you were talking about, you know, with the MK Ultra and the memes, yeah, and you just extrapolate that a little bit, really what's happening is human beings the smartphone has become an extension of the human nervous system yeah oh yeah and that and we say that you know and, and i know you know it more deeply than most because of your understanding of the mind and hypnosis but the average person doesn't understand that and then most people who think they do don't truly understand that all that's really happening is you are just becoming part of a technocratic algorithm yeah that you, 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 you are absolutely losing inner authority at a daily rate. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, you are being programmed. Do you know what I mean? Like, anyone who's not seen it, you've got to check out the social network um, documentary that was on Netflix. Could it actually show you how the algorithm, how they program the algorithms to affect to affect you emotionally. So you get that dopamine hit, um, well, serotonin hit rather, because you feel good because you've had extra likes on your Instagram or yeah. whatever. That's why it pings. The ping is Pavlov's bell. And it's so wild, Alec, you know, and you know this, you know, and so I think the next iteration of the hypnotic world for me, yes, is really having people understand that they're kind of living in inception world. Do you know what I mean? Like, for me, it's more the societal hypnosis. And for me, it's more, you really want to break free? You, you really want to? It seems that we're reaching a similar point at the same time. I've got a documentary called Extreme Danger, Extreme Hypnosis. It's time yes. for the sleep zombies. I can't even say it now. It's time for the sleepwalking zombies to wake up, which yeah. it's now free to get on YouTube and stuff, but it was originally right. launched on David Icke's iconic TV platform. Oh, and it's know. exactly oh. that, societal hypnosis and brainwashing, yeah. conditioning, uh, psyops. There's loads of different names for it, but as you know, it's basically fucking around with people's brains. Absolutely. And then in, in, in an attempt to resolve this, you've got people like Jordan Peterson becoming huge you know, household names. And it's not that he's bad, but he's pretty regressive. You know what I mean? He's pretty regressive. You know what I mean? All he's done. Well, some would is... argue he's controlled opposition. Is is the is the perception that this is the way to escape from societal conditioning, but that it's purposely not designed to actually set you fully free in the way that obviously you've got this desire and aim to help people do. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that yeah, of course, we can't throw the can't we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but all Peterson's doing is he realizes that he's not gonna win by going hard, I'm a Christian, yeah? So what he's done is he's kind of doing a young thing where he's basically using 
the Bible as a metaphor. So now people can't argue with him because he's like, it's just a metaphor. We're just using dragons now and metaphors and Jesus is a metaphor and all this, you know what I mean? So all he's really doing is reinterpreting, you know, religion, you know what I mean? You know, through and kind of, I mean, I, I do believe he absolutely believes in Jesus, but he's kind of holding that back a little bit. Do you know what I mean? And he's just put positing forward the, 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 the metaphor. And so some people go, well, why is that? Why is that wrong now? And I'm like, and it's not wrong, but those worlds have had their time. You know, I mean, they've been going for thousands and thousands of years. But surely, and arguably, been... all, all religion, um, and this is just my opinion, you, uh, you may have a different, but all religion really, albeit that the people who are heavily involved would never really admit this, but my take is that all religion it, it, it is metaphor. You read the Bible, it's metaphoric stories. It didn't literally happen the way it's wrote down. The Lord's Prayer is a bloody metaphor. It's hypnotic induction. Our Father, who art in heaven, and yet, hallowed be thy name. On earth it will be done as it is in heaven. In other words, in your unconscious mind. It's a guidebook to the fact that we are our own creators. Hence, phrases like his divine power gave us everything we need for life. It's all coded in there that you are your own God, your own creator. Well, A, I agree with you on that point, but I don't think that that's, you've interpreted it because you're, you know, well-read and well-studied, and so you've interpreted that way. But actually, if you look at it historically, you know, the Abrahamic religions have always been favoured by the right wing because there's one authority, yes? And mm -hmm. so with one authority, there's a singular power over, and there's one actual way of being one right way of being do you know what i mean and so on well and so that's where is it netflix again or is it amazon prime the um i'm having a mental block the documentary series the family yeah i think it was called the family yeah which is about all the politicians and high-ranking people who run the world all and their involvement in this what is arguably a kind of cross between a religion and a, a mafiosa organization well, that's right. But you see, but the problem is we've got to a point where the left aren't any better anymore because people don't understand that, that the origin of the left, the, the, the left really came to being in the late, in the mid 1800s in France um, with the Jacobites. And the Jacobeans were basically for the people. They were against the elites and the royals and for the people. Yeah. So they took down the monarchy to give back power to the people. Yeah. And so the true left are meritocratic. Yeah, so they're a meritocracy where basically they want the best in each field to be the person who leads that area of the field. Every human being should be given the best chance of expressing themselves as fully as they possibly can in this life. Do you know what I mean? So, um, you know, the true left were kind of legends, but now it's been hijacked by these Fucking liberals, do you know what I mean? Who are uh, a naive, b clueless, c mesmerized by identity poli politics, Eastern mysticism, you know, and a combination of you know obsessive gender ideology, and you know, and minority, and they're forgetting that actually the left's job is to encourage and create a society where every single individual, yes has the ability to 
you know, uh, or be given at least the opportunity, yeah, to express their fullest self, you know, um, and yeah, it's it's so we. But the irony of all of this is the libertarian right are now closer to that I, that idea than the left. You know what I mean? So it's it's completely nuts. Do you know what I mean? But the problem is, is the libertarian right know that, yeah, so they're playing a good game at the moment. But once they've got power, then they're obviously going to fuck off to a more, <laughs> you know, you know, um, you know, kind of God-bothering, you know, um, elite, elitist way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, I suppose we're getting on a little bit here, but everyone's fighting the wrong fight. The, 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 the fight is against the elites. That's what the fight is against. The fight is against the elites in media, the elites in politics, yeah, the elites in uh, technology, you know, everywhere you see an elite, you, that's where the fight is. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, and, and people have, have, have lost sight of that because, you know, somehow everyone's been kind of given this permission to be your own king and queen. So everyone's like a mini elite. <laughs> Not well, it's the old saying, isn't it? Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Absolutely. It's so true. And so now everyone's trying to be their own king and queen, which I totally understand, because everyone's like, well, fucking hell, the world's mental. So let's just look after ourselves, you know what I mean, and, and, and our immediate family. But that's, you know, I don't know. It's not particularly progressive. I think that life is about expressing yourself and becoming everything that you can be, but absolutely about helping everyone else attempt to do the same. You know, if you if you if you're just out for yourself, you become a narcissistic fucking moron. And if you just look after others, you become a hopeless fool. You know what I mean? It, 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 it's about becoming a fucking legend and god yourself and helping everyone else do the same. You know, and that's the that's the best of life, mate. You know, I like, I like the I like the way uh, you built that. So. We've covered the far domains, we've covered your hummingbird methods coming out. All the links for this will be below the video or the audio speaker on the audio podcast. Please do go and check them out. I also want to point out, because it has been alluded to, but that um, Alistair also runs courses in hypnotherapy, NLP and coaching that collectively... Um, uh, says the alchemy of mind. Yes, thank you. I have got a note that says Alchemy of Mind here, which I've, I've lost it. Alchemy of Mind courses, which are, I guess, uh, a blend of it all. Can you tell us a little bit about them for anyone who's watching or listening who might be thinking, wow, what Alice has been saying really resonates and I'd like to look into his approach to things more. Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks for being so generous. Yeah, I, I, I run one major course. If you want to train with me, it's either two or three weeks long and we just get into it. You know, we just leave no stone unturned you know we get into all the good stuff of nlp which i've always thought shouldn't be called neuro-linguistic programming it should always have been a called neuro-linguistic reprogramming you know yeah you know but anyway uh you know kind of coaching but again not the dozy live coaching that doesn't get anyone anywhere like really good quality balls for the wall proper coaching that you know actually gives you the data that you need um you know hypnosis all the different styles you can imagine but my favorite really i suppose is evolutionary so i kind of have a lot of evolutionary psychology in my hypnosis you know and 
you know, we, we cover a lot of different stuff, a lot of different kind of ideas and philosophies, very, very, very practical. And yeah, we have just have an amazing time. So that's, that's the major thing if you ever want to train with me in person. Um, but we are looking in the future to probably get the hummingbird method out as a course that people can facilitate. You know, I think we're going to end All up right, cool. you know, going down that route at some point, you know, just a, a one that people can kind of facilitate for a weekend and, you know, that, that kind of stuff. I think that's going to be there. But yeah, lots to see, really. You know, I kind of hidden in the wastelands for many, many years, mate. I kind of just put my head down and I wasn't a mad fan of, you know, the media world. As, you know, we, we never got onto that. You know, yeah, well, the last three things about media, you've just come back, you segue back to it brilliantly. There you go, mate. So, uh, and so that's why I kind of just really, I kind of went out of sight. You know, like I said, I don't mean it arrogantly. It's but the truth of the matter is, like, they wanted me to be the next Robbins, they wanted me to be the next Paul McKenna. And, and it was, and it certainly the way it looked in that era as the shows were going out. And, you know, you were getting coverage in the tabloids, the broadsheets, the magazines and stuff. Had that continued, which yeah. obviously if you, you'd have been willing to, it could have done, you were on that trajectory. It was, it was heading that way. Yeah, I was offered a book deal for half a million dollars. I co-hosted with Melinda Messenger. I was the therapist to rock bands. You know, I, I, I was there, dude, you know, and... Hmm. I kind of just had a moment and I was like, I, I don't want to do this. I, I felt like I was a puppet on a string, you know, and, and the truth of the matter is I've always enjoyed research and philosophy and actually working things out. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, the public figure thing. I never had that narcissism. I, I never had it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know about you, but even now, if I'm invited to go on stage, A, there's no nerves at all. B, I go up there, say what I want to say and I enjoy it, but I don't come back and wow, that's amazing. And, went home and talk about it. It's like, it's just whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not, uh, it's not something that has ever driven me that kind of public, you know, um, uh, fame, you know, but saying all of that, I would say now, as I approach this stage of my life, that I do feel I've got some genuinely useful things to share, you know, that I'm proud of, you know what I mean? And, uh, and so now I'm going to kind of be, a, and I'm, yeah, I think it's time to kind of come out of uh, come out into the public domain again. So you oh. probably will see more of me. Excellent, exciting, nice one. Um, yeah, in terms of the media, just one one, one final thing. Did you did you notice? I'm kind of guessing that you probably did encounter. Can everybody does sooner or later if you're around the media? The the whole falseness of it all. The, the, the being told what you've got to do. Hey, tomorrow you need to be here and be seen bumping into this person or you've got to go and have uh, dinner here so that we can do this gossip page article. There's a lot of manufactured bollocks in it, isn't there, that a lot of viewers and listeners just won't realise. You know, you know, I've always been a fan of, you know, kind of Joseph Campbell's work and to a lesser degree young, but you know, Joseph Campbell, you know, the hero's journey and you're going to meet all the inevitable people on your journey, aren't you? You know what I mean? And that's just a part of life, you know, and, you know, one of the big challenges, obviously, to become a whole is to recognise, you know, your persona, you know, and become authentic, you know, to not play the persona, you know, and 
we all know, I'm sure you know as well. I mean, I'm pretty confident that if I went to one of your TV, one of your trainings, I would just meet the man that I'm talking to now. You know, you might be slightly more exaggerated because you've got to teach in front of 100 people, but yeah. it's going to be you, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And the same with me, you come on a course, this is who you're going to get. Yes, there's going to be more exaggerated. I've got 100 people in front of me or 50 people, so I'm going to have to be more potentially energetic about it, but it's going to be exactly the same person, you know? And I'll sit down, have a cup of tea with you, chat shit talk about music I like you know what I mean just because that, that's how I view life you know mm-hmm. I think the whole media world and unfortunately so much of the new age and NLP and it's just full of persona isn't it you know and uh, well, ironically so full of people who are incongruent incongruent absolutely and yet they know? spend so much time going on about being congruent incongruent yeah you know I, I remember I was invited to do the NLP Superfest you know, about 500 people, you know, people over in Australia. And it was great because I met Frank uh, Puslik, Pers- um, who was the third co-creator of NLP. Um, and we met there and we've become great friends and we actually talk every other week on, you know, and have chats. So it's been lovely hearing his version of NLP, which is maybe we'll do it. We'll do something on that one day, mate, because that's interesting, you know, hearing about the actual origins of NLP. So I'm very close to the source of it, you know, and I, he was... He kind of told me, you know, he's like, you know, really, when he started out, he, he viewed it as this humanistic kind of, you know, way of working with people, you know, and obviously, I mean, good old Richard Bandler, as much as I think he's incredibly skilled, he himself admitted that he's a sociopath, do you know what I mean? And, you know, it's, uh, and I, always, I, I valued a lot talking to Frank, because it reinstalled my faith in the essence of what NLP originally was, you know, I'm a hardcore humanist at heart, you know what I mean? And, you meet everybody with positive self-regard and you want the best for people and see the best in them. And you know what I mean? And we're in this, I said, no man's an island. We're in this life together. Do you know what I mean? And I am massively into helping off brothers and sisters, our fellow men and women, you know, as much as we possibly can at all times, you know, that's, I think that's our, our, our job as, 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 as a member of, 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 of the world. And I just think that the media is, yeah, psychopaths, narcissists, liars, just everyone on the hero's journey you don't want to meet are mostly there, <laughs> just lined up for you. You know what I mean? And I told one, my, my one issue was, I remember every time I would write a piece, you know what I mean? And I'd always say to the magazine or the newspaper, I'd say, listen, I want last say, because you, you're meant to get last say on the piece before permission to print, you know? And they go, yeah, 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 of course you get last. I go, well, would I really? And I, yeah, 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 yeah. So they'd interview you. And I would record my the interview so that they couldn't fuck with me. And then the <laughs> the piece would come out and they just lied. They just lied. And I'd have the yeah. video and I'd, sorry, I'd have the recording. I'd play the recording. And I didn't say that. I said, th- I didn't say that. So then I'd go back to them and go, you just lied. And they would just go quiet on you. And then you'd go, well, I'm going to get legal counsel. And they go, okay. And these they got millions and millions at the time. I didn't know. And they go, money. okay, because they know for well, a minimum, minimum back in the day, the time era of your TV series would have been at least 25 grand first down payment to the solicitor to start proceedings. Exactly. So they knew that you weren't going to. And so after about the fifth or sixth article, you know, and then I remember people, they were shocked because I remember one of the producers from Endemol, you know, she started getting kind of really demanding. And I was like, calm down. I said, I'm, I've got 15 people. I'm sorting them all out one after the other. You're giving me like three hours to do it. I'm doing literally the impossible. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, leave it out. And everyone, you can't speak to her like that. You can't. You know what I mean? And I was like, well, well I don't give a shit, but I can or I can't. I am. And I will. Do you know what I mean? And 
you could already I could already feel <laughs> my character was oil and water. You know, they wanted yeah. submissive little bitches to do their bidding. You know what I mean? And they wanted you to go on stage and be the big hi. You know what I mean? Wavy fucking jazz hands. You know what I mean? And they didn't give a shit if you went home. You know, in the limo, just fucked up and ill at ease with yourself. Do you know what I mean? Um, and that just wasn't how I rolled. So it was. I was like, no, fuck you. I'm not doing it. I'll do it my way. And I think yes. that's the wonderful thing now, isn't it? About YouTube and well, currently, hopefully that stays. But to, for the most part, you can still say what you need to say. Well, yeah, and um, and and there's people now getting doing like web series on on YouTube and other platforms who are getting millions and millions of views. They're reaching a much bigger audience than a conventional TV show would. So things have moved on. It's like a different world since you and me were regularly on the telly in the 90s and early noughties. It's just good luck to the young guns. I'm still trying to get my head around most of it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I, I've often thought that. I mean, you know, I wonder what would have happened if, you know, you, me, whatever, we'd been, you know, at the beginning of, I mean, to a certain degree, we could have been, but what would have happened? But I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't think that I had the, I honestly don't think I had the capacity or the life experience to handle that back then. You know what I mean? I, 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 having millions of followers and all that kind of stuff, I, I think it would have killed me. Well, I, 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 yeah. Because I know that yeah, I, I did shed loads of telly in the uh, mid, well, from 93 onwards till till mid-98 when uh, there was the whole News of the World fiasco. Circusofthemind.net, for any of you as a listener who may not be quite aware of that ongoing legal case that I've got with um, Rupert Murdoch's media. Um, and to be honest... Be very careful how I phrase this because I don't want to give them anything they can try and use to argue there. But well, it's no, it would be no defense for them at the end of the day. They hacked me phone, drugged me, uh, printed stuff that was never said, blah 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 blah. However, they did do me a, a favor because that fucked up my life at the time massively and landed me in prison for a bit. And that was kind of my what the fuck are you doing with your life? wake up call yeah um and i did kind of realize yeah you know what as much as it was fun on the one hand hanging out in string fellows um spending every penny that i was getting paid for you know these shows for celebrity parties and all the pretentious bullshit because that's what he was I think if I'd have carried on and that had got got any, I, I'd have probably ended up killing myself at an early yeah. age, one way or the other. I mean, you know, not necessarily suicidally, yeah. but drinking drugs. That was in. It, it, there is a dark side to show business. I think it's mostly dark. I I I I, I, I do I do I do think that. Do you know what I mean? I think you know, and and also like you know, yeah. I don't know. I just I just feel that. If you, if you, certainly at this point in my life, like I said, back then I could help people. You know what I mean? I don't think I had much useful to, I don't think I had anything useful to say, but I was definitely someone who could actively help people overcome their daily problems. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and now I genuinely feel I've got some genuinely useful things to say, you know? 
And so now if I do create a platform, I'd be, I'm in a place where I have that kind of, as you said, congruency, you know, to, you know, kind of say what I say contextually and in a way that I would be proud of, you know, like when I launched the hummingbird technique, you know, it's beautifully filmed. I feel very proud of the information I've shared. It's, you know, very well done. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm at a stage now where, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I just don't want to churn out content. That's what everyone else is doing. You know what I mean? Whether I make less money as a result of it, I just don't really care. You know what I mean? I kind of, I, I'm only interested in kind of putting out things that I think could genuinely assist, genuinely help and genuinely be proud of, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think if I had, like you, if I'd carried on on that trajectory, I would have probably let myself or I don't know, probably not, but let's say I would have done things that looking back, I wouldn't have been proud of. You know, even now when I look back at the Life Guru TV series, even though it predated Paul McKenna's, it predated everybody's, do you know what I mean? And I should be really proud of it because I helped 15 people overcome their issues, you know what I mean? It was great. You know, the NLP community didn't come behind me at all, you know what I mean? They were dismissive and this and that. And, you know, you got no love from your community, you know what I mean? And I think I probably would have at the time. Jealousy and eagles, very sad, especially when it was actually yeah, helping was them as well by bringing it That's into right. the public. That's right, That's right, I was in the... In the, in the in the London Times featured every magazine talking about NLP and hypnosis and how it can change lives. Yeah, they should have been fucking writing me letters saying thanks so much for the exposure. But instead, such little bitches, they couldn't bring themselves to do that. But I think that back then I probably would have been needy of their um, what's the word I'm looking for acknowledgement. Probably, do you know what I mean? Uh, you know, and you know, but now I couldn't give a flying fuck. Do you know what I mean? Like. You know, now I'm like, come on, NLP community, like, get your heads out of your asses. You know, what the fuck are you? Do you know what I mean? Like, as, as me and my mate always joke, there's this one chick running around at the moment in Australia, just screaming at everyone like a bad Tony Robbins going, make an impact, make an impact. I'm going to show you how to make an impact. I'm going to show you how to make an impact. And as we say, the only thing that she's ever made an impact in is the all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But... but might sound like a shitty thing to say but let's be honest about it you if, if you are claiming that your nlp can give you control over your own thoughts emotions behaviors and and on top of that you're meant to be modeling out excellence yeah where's the x ex- where's the self-control where's the excellence where's you know what i mean like come on let's come to the party as far as i can understand you know, I mean, that's the only, I'm not a mad fan of Tony. I, I met Tony and I thought he was a nice guy, but I've got my kind of little issue with Tony, which is basically he's just not honest with his audience. Do you know what I mean? Which that's a little annoying, but he's, he's kind of like a nice guy. But at least Tony Robbins, at least he kind of took the essence of NLP become excellent part of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. At least he tries to keep himself in shape. At least he tries to have functional relationships. At least he's made money. Do you know what I mean? Like, at least... He works on himself. And I and I appreciate that. Do you know what I mean? I'm going, yeah, you, at least you took that part of what I believe was a dominant part of NLP. You know what I mean? Like find people who are excellent at doing certain things and model that out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like what a lot of NLPers do, which is find a guru and try and become the guru, which is the last thing you want to do. Is about yeah, in a skip. scaringly... Scaringly. Yeah, you know, manner, yeah. They forget that it's about modeling out... The, an individual's skill, not the person. Do you know what I mean? But I'm like, and, and, and whenever I say things like this, like I was saying, the NLP is super best. You know, I basically went on stage in front of 500 people and just said it. You know what I mean? I just was blunt. 
but they always had a problem because there was a guy on the stage and he was meant to stick people's hands to everything. He couldn't do it. Another person was meant to do other things and he couldn't do it. So the organizers came up to me and said, listen, Al, you've got to save this. This is going down bad. This is on the on the first day, yeah? And I was the guy after lunch. And they said, you've got to save us, man. You've got to save us. Are you you're telling me that at an NLP event, there was yeah. somebody who was supposed to be, for example, locking people's hands to tables, this, that, and the other. Yeah. And with an audience full... Yeah, a fucking people who spent money on NLP courses. Yeah, who were the easiest brainwashed footwits on the planet. <laughs> couldn't get they couldn't get them to lock their hands to a table. That's bad. Well, I believe the excuse was he didn't get round to it. That's not what it looked like to me. But anyway, there was a number of failures along the line, and I'm like, oh shit, okay. And so I'm like, I said, okay, I'm going to make a deal with you. If you want me to turn this around, I will unapologetically be me yeah because i know you've said in my waiver no swearing no this no that i said you've got to re-sign that i can do whatever the fuck i want yeah and they went yeah no problems so i went on stage and just ruled and i stuck like 350 people's hands to the table <laughs> yeah i was like i'm not gonna do one i'll do all of you do you know what i mean nice. and then you know and did all the stuff and everyone and yeah, everyone loved it and that's where i met frank and we did all these things but here's the funny thing at the end of it, I was voted the best speaker of the of the um, of the thing, but they didn't want to acknowledge this. That the woman who, who, who ran it came up and we were voted, but we got a problem. I said, "What's the problem?" They said, "Well, the NLP Association basically wants your fucking head. They want you basically kicked out of the NLP associations." And I said, "Why?" They said, because of the way you communicated, your swearing, the way that you did things. And I'm like, "All right." It, it's it a cheat to say that ANLP, which yeah. when you say it quick, it's anal p. Anal P, yeah, they went online to the community. And this is where I would be thankful to the NLP community of Australia. So if you're listening, NLP community of Australia, thank you very much. They all absolutely took my side. They no, were saying, no, a legend, what are you on about? You know what I mean? Like, ridiculous. And so they kind of banked off. But, yeah, I was like, wow, for a, for a group where, you know, one of the founding principles, isn't it, is the meaning of communication is in the response you get. Yeah. <laughs> And it would appear that I got a great response. You know what I mean? Like, what's your problem? You know? What? Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of work to be done in the NLP field to bring it back up. And I'm not saying that NLP doesn't have excellence in it, but the people doing NLP need to hold themselves to a much higher standard. I really do believe that. You know, NLP is great and everyone knows they can do cool stuff with language and all the patterns and all that. Yeah, whatever. Nice. I'm only interested in seeing NLPs who themselves have become legends. You know what I mean? Like, come on, let's see some cool people. That's one work. of the. That's one of the big. Well, my biggest gripe with it all, and it's not just NLP. It's also hypnotherapy. Well, loads of other modalities as well. Frankly, if you've got the cash available or you can borrow the money, you go and do the practitioner course. You can literally walk out the day after your practitioner course, and the next day, depending on the scheduling do your uh, master practitioner. And then you can literally walk out and the next day, if the scheduling was right, do your advanced master practice. And then you can walk out and do your trainer trainer. Then you can walk out at the end, the next day, set up teaching other people and taking them through the multi-level marketing pyramid funnel of NLP or hypnotherapy training, teaching other people something you've learned off other people who've never really achieved anything in the real world, unless you've gone to the real 
sources, but generally speaking, the majority of people teaching it have never done anything in the real world other than go through the courses, then go out and start teaching other people. It's the line blind leading the fucking blind. Sorry, I went off. No, mate, I think you should carry on. <laughs> but it is, look, it's, it's like it's, it's tandem out frog. Surely you should be going out there and actually getting fucking results with clients for, I don't know, I, I would recommend, say, either 10 years at least, or if you're really good at marketing and end up seeing in, in the realms of 20 to 40 clients a week, then maybe five years would bring you to a level where credibly you, you, you could ethically be saying, I, I've got some, I, I can teach you from experience. Not, I'm just regurgitating the textbook I learned from someone else who, it, it, the industry's fault in that regard. I'll meet you in the middle. I promised myself that I would not teach a thing until I'd done seven years. Okay. So I did, I did, I did seven years, and I think I was seeing more people than pretty much anywhere else in the fucking world at the time. I mean, just seeing a lot of people, and I was seeing, you know, and people from everywhere, like, you know, like sports and business and this, doing TV shows. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, like you. you know I mean, I'd done a lot of stuff before I taught. But here's something that not a lot of people know, but I love saying it because it really winds the associations. <laughs> I didn't want to be beholden to any of the lineages. Yeah. I didn't want to train and be a, a trainer under Bandler or under Ted James or Grinder. I, I, I was like, I don't want to be, I'm not interested in any of your traditions. I'm not interested. I respect you all, you know, for, who have done it. And I always, you know, if, if anyone who ever trains me will absolutely say, I am unbelievably pedantic with paying back where each pattern, each idea came from. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, this is Conor Andreas, this is Steve, this is Diltz, this is Grinder, this is Ban. You know what I mean? Like, I absolutely do my utmost to honour everything. But I was like, I'm not, I'm not being any of your little bitches. So I just did some shitty dudes, I can't remember his name. You know what I mean? Trainers training from America. You know what I mean? It was relatively useless. Do you know what I mean? Because I was like, exactly what you said. I was seeing all these other trainers just going through, you know, Tad James's kind of Insta trainer you know what I mean? Like rent, you know what I mean? System. Do you know what I mean? Like from zero to hero in a fucking month or whatever. You know what I mean? I was like, I, I, I can't do it. I, I, I can't do it. Band, I didn't want to be beholden to him. Do you know what I mean? Grinder's approach, I, I was never mad fan of. I mean, I get it, but you know, new code NLP. I mean, it never really turned out anyone who was doing anything particularly useful. Do you know what I mean? Like really, but I mean, Grinder's a legend. No, there's no doubt about it, but let's be honest, new code kind of, whatever you know what i mean i just wasn't seeing anyone that i wanted to emulate do you know what i mean i was like uh, none of these trainers are people i want to emulate you know what i mean and your skill it's okay but i'm pretty convinced my skill through seven years you know shits over most of your skills unless you're extraordinarily good do you know what i mean like and that's why it was it was kind of really lovely to have met frank you know the third co-creator and he said he was one of the, I'm probably the best, one of the best trainers ever seen. Do you know what I mean? When he saw me at NLP Superfest and to get that acknowledgement, you know what I mean, was cool. appreciated. But it was very lovely after all of these years and kind of being the black sheep of the community, you know what I mean, to have one of the genuine co-creators go become a friend. Do you know what I mean? And a colleague. And, a, you know, that's been a very lovely rounding off of my NLP career. Because I've, I've always felt at odds with the, with the world. I've always paid absolute respect you know what i mean to what happened in the 70s you know and then from about 76 78 onwards i think nlp whatever 
I think those first few years, genius. And then, yeah, sure. You know, um, not so sure. So it's been, it's been a lovely journey from the NLP, um, you know, to have had that. Because before I met Frank and had that acknowledgement, I always, and I didn't care what the community felt, but I didn't really have a mirror against which to have a sense of kind of how far I'd come. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that was, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Wow. Funny, huh? It's been amazing. I'm going to have to bring this to a close in a minute, much longer than we normally are. But I tell you what, viewers and listeners, pure gold. As I always say, watch or listen again, but this time take notes because there are nuggets all along the way. Just as there's further nuggets, you can find out by going to the links that will be below this video or below the speaker symbol on all the major podcast platforms. Go and visit those links, find out more about the Hummingbird Method, Alchemy of Mind, the Four Domains and all the other cool stuff that Alistair has got that could help take you to the next level. Now, I always end every show with the same question. So we're going to end with that question in a minute. But before I ask that final question, there is one thing left on the notes, and that is um, to find out what it is that made you laugh, that makes other people laugh in something from one of my DVD sets. Okay, so I tell the story like this. Okay. I say, because I learned some really good uh, stage hypnosis stuff from you, yeah? Oh, so, thank you for that. yeah, really appreciate it. You know, I was kind of modeling out stage hypnotists and you're one of the guys I modeled out. So just so you know, all right? So I do appreciate that a lot. And I tell the story like this. I say, basically, I was teaching this, one of my first NLP courses. And I had just watched your DVD. And in your DVD, you've got a group of people up in Northern England, and you're teaching a lot of kind of stage hypnotists and stuff. And it kind of looks pretty funny. It looks like at the back of a pub, a lot of big audience, yeah? And right off the bat, you say you've got any volunteers. And one guy from the back kind of comes down to the front and sits down. And this is the absolute yeah. beginning of the DVD, yeah? yeah he just yeah, yeah. sits back. You hypnotize him and tell him that when he wakes up, his testicles are gonna be talking, yeah? So he wakes up and his testicles are talking. At this point, when I'm watching the DVD, I'm crying with laughter, yeah? I'm, I'm in bits. But then when he takes his jumper off to try and keep the sound down, yeah? And smothers them with the jumper, I've lost the buzz. One of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, like absolutely in bits, okay? So that's the bit I watch on the DVD. Anyway, I thought, fuck, I'm gonna do this on the course. Yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm mucking around. There's a small group out. 13, 14, and they were a legendary bunch. I still know some of them. One of my first ever trainings. I still know some of them from back then. There's one guy, Mark. Mark, if you're listening, you know who it is. And we're doing all this kind of stuff, and I'm making them lose numbers and doing kind of shit, you know what I mean? And I had already told them about this story at the beginning, yeah? and everyone was falling out with this laughter. So right at the end, I go, right, come on, Mark, hypnotize you for the last time. Yeah, so I'm hypnotizing him and all this kind of stuff. And then I go, right. And everyone knows what's coming, yeah? Because I say, <laughs> when you open your eyes, your testicles are gonna be talking. In fact, they're gonna be singing, yeah? And he goes, no, no, they fucking won't. Literally <laughs> 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 oh, not let himself, because he knew what I was up to. Oh, dear. Yeah, it was, it was one of the funnest things. So between your, uh, your DVD and his response to AO was brilliant. So thanks for that. And, no, and, and there's a key 
lesson of stage hypnosis in what Alistair just said. Things work far better when people, the, the person you're going to get to do it, doesn't know in advance what's happening because exactly. then they can't they can't resist um, as easily. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. Right. So the question I ask everyone at the end and the one twenty is literally just to open up the floor to you. Although you've shared so much pure gold with us over the past shitting hell, uh, two hours and twenty minutes. Time just. I mean that's just been fun, pure gold. Um, I know, but I, I, I end with the question: What, what, what would you kind of key piece of advice be to viewers or listeners who want to, um, you know, who might be just starting out on their journey and want to be the best possible therapist that they can become? Well, I think that's a big question. I'm going to try and be very concise. So I think if you want to get really good at just helping people then really look at the work of David Grove and clean language, because at least it will clean up what you do. It'll just clean up what literally clean up what you do. Yeah. Um, go to the source. Don't go to some of the people who he kind of trained and stuff because they're, they're not as clean as they think they are. Do you know what I mean? But the original work of David Grove, phenomenal. Obviously, if you want to do stage hypnosis, do what I do. Model out Alex, Jonathan Royale. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's what I did. You know what I mean? And you really helped me. I genuinely learned how to do some really good stage stuff from you. You know what I mean? And, saw all the no nonsense behind the scenes stuff, you know, um, which was, you know, uh, very useful. I think as an individual, I think it goes back to what we talked about, mate. I think you really have to look honestly at this submissive dominant, you know, mechanism within our psyche. And I think you really have to, if you want to be a free man or a free woman, you know what I mean? And to the best of your ability, um, it takes like, effort and it takes effort to look at where you are just have been programmed with traditions or family or society or politics in non-useful ways you know mm -hmm. um yeah really look at it and uh, you know how everyone talks about trying to become conscious by meditating yeah you don't become conscious by meditating that i can promise you yeah you become conscious by knowledge yeah I mean, and that's another discussion for another day, but you become nonscious, sorry, nonscious. You become, I'm tired now, it's getting late here. Um, it's a new word, nonscious. You become conscious through knowledge. Yeah, through knowledge acquisition. Yeah, um, not even through experience because there are plenty of people who experience their entire life and never learn much. They never become particularly conscious. You know, they just eat, watch TV and yeah, repeat the patterns that have been programmed into them, you know? That's not being a conscious individual. You know, uh, to become a conscious individual is to investigate the programming that you have taken on board, yeah? And then to actively decide, you know, the programming that you want to install an action. Um, and, you know, to become extraordinary. And as I always say, to become, help others become extraordinary. Because I was always, this is the final thing I'll say, I was always very fond of the silver method. I always thought that out of all of the kind of, all of the kind of slightly new agey, hypnoey, mystical, you know, things, I always thought the silver method was the best of the lot, you know, and Jose Silva. And I always, I read basically his autobiography, I think it was, and he said something that really landed with me many, many years ago, it would have been 20, 25 years ago, I read this. And he said, in life, if you only look out for yourself, the universe or whatever you believe in will only give you enough energy and power to do that. You know, 
if you want to look out and after your family, then you'll be given more energy and power to accomplish that. And so, but if you want to have the most power and vitality running through you, then you quite simply need to look out for and help as many people as you possibly can. And I've always felt that that had a, a poetry to it, a beauty to it. Do you know what I mean? Like, not at the expense of yourself, you should always look after yourself first, you know, and become as, you know, consciously powerful as you possibly can, you know, and by power, I mean, dominant, not submissive to programming, and then help as many people as you possibly can, you know, it's a little bit like truly becoming a Neo, isn't it in the matrix? Great films. Yeah. A lot closer to reality than many would like to perhaps uh, believe or accept. Yeah. But thanks so much for your generosity. Uh, you know, Thank you come... for your time so much. And uh, more importantly, for sharing what, hey, I've got a ton out of it. So I'm sure that viewers and listeners will as well. Um, yeah. Everyone. I say it one more time, go to the links below the video or the speaker symbol, go and visit the websites, look up things, especially the Hummingbird uh, method looks like it's going to be an absolute awesome addition to your toolkit, whether it's for yourself or for helping your clients. Uh, indeed, uh, both of those things. Thank you so much to the legend that is formerly known as the life guru, <laughs> formerly known as a sound purpose, now the founder and creator of the Hummingbird Method, Mr. <laughs> Alistair Horscroft. Thank you very much indeed, sir. You're Thanks, Alex. Take care, my man. All the best. Thank you. <laughs>